This week, Neil O'Farrell, the founder of the Cyber Resilience Project, will talk about cybersecurity mental health. Next up, the security news. Malware targets Ukraine. I wonder where could that be coming from? Evil Google Docs comments. Russia grabs. Is it Revel or Evil? Revel? We say, what are we saying? What is it? Revel? I think oh. it's R Evil. R Evil. We're going with R Evil. Russia grabs R Evil. Pay no attention to the Ukraine thing. We gave you R Evil. Uh, funding a dictatorship. Zoom zero clicks when nine year olds launch DDoS attacks. 5G interference. And that time your mom stole your brownies. In the final segment, we air a technical segment showing you how to use WP Scan to find WordPress vulnerabilities. All that and more on this episode of Paul's Security Weekly. This is Security Weekly, for security professionals, by security professionals. Broadcasting live from G-Unit Studios in Rhode Island, it's the show where exploits run wild, packets aren't the only things getting sniffed, and the cocktails flow steady, it's Paul's Security Weekly. Keeping up with security issues across thousands of web assets without the right approach to web application security is a daunting task. Get ahead with web vulnerability scanning automation from NetSparker, a leader in dynamic and interactive application security testing known for its ease of use and accurate results. Detect a wide range of vulnerabilities in all legacy and modern web applications, address security bugs at scale by automating the confirmation process, automatically prioritize vulnerabilities, and assign actionable tickets to the right developers in their native workflows for rapid remediation. For more information on how to scale application security with ease, visit securityweekly.com forward slash NetSparker. And welcome to the show. But first, let me introduce you to a man who can set your nether regions on fire without a blowtorch, Mr. Paul Asadorian. Welcome to Paul Security Weekly. It's episode number 724 recorded on January 19th. 2021 right here in g unit studios in rhode island to my left mr larry pesce hi where'd you get the oh we were talking about that in slack yeah blow like, torches blow <laughs> torches in nether regions yeah so. and, and like I, I had to go back to the channel and find where i had pinned the message yeah. to because <laughs> like i was like wait that sounds familiar i don't think it's something we said it's something we typed th this is getting harder and harder to figure out like to find something witty to say in the beginning of the show. it is it is it is difficult yep, yep. Well like, done, like last week the kermit the frog was a, a dare from my oldest daughter nice because when we were at disney she was working on like perfecting some voices and, yeah. and that type of stuff and i'm like well i can do kermit the frog she's like you need to introduce the podcast with that Okay. Challenge accepted. <laughs> Hi-ho, Kermit the Frog here. <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Josh Marpet is here with us. Welcome, Josh. Hey, I was just about to say, you know, without a blowtorch, maybe a barrel of lube would be good. <laughs> we got one of those right back. No, never mind. Mr. Tyler Robinson is here with us. Tyler, welcome. Thank you. Thank you. I have nothing to say about the blowtorches in other regions because that's <laughs> something else. <laughs> like the rubber hose all over again tyler right it really is there's a bottle of lube or your face in a jar like it's all it's all <laughs> starting to blend together <laughs> in the oh nightmare God. will it blend uh quick announcement to get us started join us january 20th that's tomorrow to learn how to build your own security lab at home then join us uh february 16th to learn about validation techniques within app web applications uh, validating vulnerable vulnerabilities within applications. Then on March 2nd, learn five things you can do to catch 
more bad guys with Doug Burks, Doug Burks from the Security Onion. You can register for these webcasts for free at securityweekly.com forward slash webcast. All I'm asking for is a name and email address. These three coming up in the new Security Weekly Unlocked webcast format are not sponsored. And if they are sponsored, it will be done differently. And I will not share your information really with anyone, especially without your permission. Uh, and I'll use your email address to send you an email and say, hey, thanks for attending. Like, here's a handout or something. Uh, so these are completely free. Uh, done in part of our new Security Weekly Unlocked series of webcasts. Just name an email address, securityweekly.com forward slash webcasts. Neil O'Farrell is the founder of the Cyber Resilience Project with nearly 40 years of experience in cybersecurity globally. Neil is joining us tonight to talk about what we can do to raise awareness on issues of mental health for cybersecurity professionals. Neil, welcome to the show. Hey guys, how are you? I'm, I'm already beginning to wonder what I stumbled into, but it looks like a vodka bar, so I'm kind of comfortable there. That's right. <laughs> Perfect. Neil, how did you get your start in information security? Like everyone else, uh, I went to technical college to study marketing to be a dressmaker. So. Wow. <laughs> That's uh, an interesting <laughs> wow. journey. That's exactly how I got my start, too. That's, like you, you were right, everything else. <laughs> we we, we need groups like this again. so we can feel comfortable talking about it, right? How did your marketing degree help you in dressmaking? It didn't because I didn't get it. Oh. So, <laughs> you so he's just like, like yeah, the rest no, of us. He's absolutely right. No, I was I was I, I was going to be the, the uh, third generation to take over a famous Irish weaving business with lots of fancy clients, and um, didn't work out. Ran away from home. Ran back. Scaredy little Irish boy as I was, and I, I the only college I could get into was the marketing college on a two year certificate to to learn marketing, to learn branding, to sell tweed to Americans who, for some crazy reason, love polyester. <laughs> I still do, apparently, judging by this this this, this show. Um, and uh, yeah, I just uh, uh, first year in, someone showed me uh, how you could steal a professor's password by sticking a floppy disk inside a drive, and all those words were just really new to me. And yeah, two years later, I I got my first security gig selling dongles. And uh, all sideways from there. Oh, dongles like for licenses for software. Yeah, yeah. Back in back in back in, in so it was a uh, it was a startup selling uh, accounting software, and it was expensive. It was, it was thousands of dollars mm. back then. And they were they were looking to prevent piracy. So I looked into dongles. Dongles used encryption. You all remember the data encryption standard? Like it's yeah. Um, and. Uh, Five years after that, or six years after that, I, I won the first contract to encrypt Ireland's entire ATM network. And that, so I was, I was deeply mired in encryption. Now, when I say that, Ireland's entire national ATM network, I think we probably had about 100 ATMs at the time. So it's not as, it's not as audacious as it sounds, but that, yeah, that's how I got, uh, got involved. And that was in, in Ireland in the 80s and 90s? Yeah, 80s. No, that was three yeah. years ago. Um, <laughs> it all blurs, right? It all blurs. I mean, life, security life was so much easier. I mean, gee, you know, we were, we were, yeah. I mean, there was no email, there was no internet, there were no cell phones. Life was just, yeah, we had fun. And security people were nice, too. So it was, it was, yeah, things have changed a little bit. Neil, when, when did Ireland get really, like, super connected? Is it? 
because I understand that it's interesting how very U.S. centric kind of view we have of many things. I've been studying how technology, security, and the internet have evolved in the U.S. When when did Ireland come into the the mix and get connected? Was it all around the same time? Yeah, so so we have a thing in Ireland we call the privilege of historical backwardness. Um, <laughs> I don't know I don't know if that's something that's known everywhere, but a really clever Irish guy used to use it all the time. And what we would do was we would wait and wait and wait until everyone had tried every possible new technology. And when we figured out the one that really worked and it was really cheap, then we moved to it. So we had analog telephones while everyone was going digital, you know, mm -hmm. digital switches. And then when they finally got cheap enough and got good enough, we dumped the analog and we leapfrogged everyone else because, you know, our, our, our first new phones were <clears> best new phones. And kind of the same thing went, I think, with with everything else. I mean, I, I, I haven't lived in Ireland for 25 years, but I still have family over there. And they, they've had 5G since forever, mm. you know. Um, they can't understand why why our, our internet speeds are so slow. And they're paying you know, 50 bucks a month for one gig speeds. And it's just, yeah, it's, it's kind of unreal. Um, but yeah, we are, we are a, we had the tiger economy. We kind of roared then and then collapsed a little bit. Uh, a feline distemper, I think, kind of set in and the, the economy collapsed. Uh, but we were pretty advanced. But remember, it's a small island. It's about 300 miles north by 200 miles wide. It's hard to fuck things up. It's, you know, it's <laughs> not a huge place. That's amazing. Did you have did you have any of the uh, the security concerns that you have now with like ATMs in different ways? Or you know, IRA members are jacking uh, ATMs or or cyber crime before cyber was a thing. Like, what were some of the the challenges in security back then as compared to what you're dealing with now? You know, it, it's almost like I planted that question. I'm just. As you, as you could tell with the camera I used, I'm not that smart. But yeah, let me. So one of the first gigs that I got, it was Bank of Ireland. And they called me into this hush-hush meeting at their national computer center. It was close to where my parents lived. And they their concern was that there were two streets very close to the computer center. And their worries, their biggest worry was that if the IRA or any other terrorist organization drove a truck bomb, even outside the wall, it could take out their entire national infrastructure. So uh, I had just, I just started selling expert systems, recovery planning systems, and I'd, uh, um, uh, I was an agent for them, a reseller. They asked me to come in to see if it would work because what they planned to do was take this massive computer center, this data center, computer center back then, and build an entire replica in a bunker 15 feet below. So if they took out the top one, the bottom one was still going. And they wanted to know if my expert software um, would help them, you know, make some of those planning decisions a little bit easier. Thing was, I hadn't tried it at that point because I didn't have a computer, so I had no idea how the thing actually worked. So I made the I I um I made the wise decision of of saying, well, it's it's kind of you know it's new and it's American, so we don't really trust it. So no, mm -hmm. and they they were so impressed by my honesty. A year later, they they gave me that contract to encrypt their entire. 50, 60, 70, 80, 90 ATM network. So yeah, I mean, it, it, the, their biggest cyber threat was 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 some kind of an Egypt in a truck with a bomb. Neil, how did you come to be such a, a big proponent of uh, and raise awareness around mental health in our field? 
Well, I struggled with it for 50 years. So I'm 60 years old. So an early teenager, I kind of saw the first signs, but it wasn't until my late 20s, I, they, they, they stuck a label on it and, and, you know, banished me to the woods. Um, so I, I struggled with it for 50 years. And like a lot of people, I had I got four. Um, so, you know, wait, these, wait, these four, are, four are, mental illnesses that have been diagnosed yes. so far. And when I got this four, <laughs> I stopped looking, honestly, uh, I'm sure there's a few more in there. Uh, but yeah, I just, I don't want, um, I don't want any more. I, I, there's enough voices. Um, so yeah, so I, 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 I got those were truly messed up my life, but I didn't know what they were. So I just thought I was weird. And I think other people thought I was weird. And especially, you know, you come home to your mother from from studying marketing in college and, and, and you say, Mom, I finally found what I want to do in life. And I want to be in computer security. And she kind of goes, that's, you know, that's great news, son, number nine. You know, what's a computer? Mm. So so I think when between my mental malaises and with the with the illnesses I'm dealing with, I think people thought I was very, very weird. And so because I I was working in the intelligence community as well, going up against the NSA and GCHQ and all that kind of stuff and they turned the crypto wars. So I was just I was dealing with chronic stress since since kind of my late thirties, trying to make sure that no one ever found out about these. That no I wouldn't give away any clue at a meeting. Um I wouldn't go to doctors in case there were records. I just I knew I had something, but I didn't want to know exactly what because if I knew they'd know. Hmm. So so, yeah, I just, you know, 30 years of chronic stress, just turning my life upside down, a, a close call with suicide a couple of years ago. I mean, you know, we talked about it earlier, Paul, sitting on the side of a bed with a loaded gun, and I was this close. I was this close. And I, I pulled myself back from that break, and I said, i got to do something about it. I've got to, I don't, you know, medications and therapy, maybe, you know, but first got to figure out what the problem is, what's broken. And that started me on this incredible journey of figuring out that, or realizing that, I could get a grip on so much of this myself without therapy or medications. And then I became almost like a an evangelist with no audience. I thought everyone's gotta know this. And so one of the one of one of kind of the, the, the epiphanies that I had in my in my journey through mental health, where I, I created this damn system for kind of determining what was wrong with me and how, how I could fix it, was the decision to leave security. Forty years was enough. Uh it's now full of people like you, you know. Uh, I thought, you know, it's, it's, I used to have the best beard in security by far, by far, admired throughout the industry. Now, it's not that, not that, it's like a, it's like a 14 year old. So I just thought, you know, if I'm going to leave security, <laughs> let me do something for security before I leave. And that's when the, the idea of the Cyber Resilience Project came up where we not only tried to address uh, mental illness and chronic stress in, 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 in the security community, but actually turned it into a security strategy. If, if, uh, if organizations, workplaces, employers have better minds working for them, everyone wins. It, it seems to me that like way back in history, when you were in grade school, for example, I remember listening to our thing with Sammy the Bull Gravano, and he's like, I, I was dyslexic. He's like, but it wasn't diagnosed back then. He's like, basically just right. called me stupid, right? And I mean, that yeah. weighs on your mental health as well and i feel like we've made progress in that area but something you said really <clears throat> strikes me neil and that is uh you said in your own experience i didn't want anyone to know that i struggle with any type of mental health or men mental illness you think that's still i still think that's true today absolutely absolutely we we pay we pay lip service to it and especially stigma 
you know, it's it, it's great for corporate retreats and it's great for 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 feeble attempts at branding and culture to talk about how how you, how how much you embrace the diversity of minds, but we don't. You know, I've had people since I started coming out and talking about mental illness and going full frontal, giving them evidence, showing them the whole goods. I'm getting an awful lot of not I'm there too and I, I came out, you know, years ago, but you're so brave because, you know, this is not gonna this is not gonna be received well. And in, in in no one has come out quite straight and said, Well, you're finished, you're done. But I, I get a sense with a lot of clients it's uh, eh, a little bit uncomfortable around me, a little bit uncomfortable talking. You don't want me to go there. So yeah, it's we are it's we 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 haven't figured out yet how to talk about our most precious organ, the, the thing that drives everything, the, the thing that drives all of mankind, the thing that's responsible for all the good and evil in the world. We still don't want to talk about it. It's only three pounds of fat. What are we scared of? Mm. So do you think a lot of that re is reliant on the enterprises and the organizations? Because, I mean, you're, you're right. There's you think about security clearances alone and bringing up something like mental illness can, can get you cut from some very high, high level security stuff or with inside of an organization. Like if you have a lot of duties, managerial and or responsibilities like that can also get you released or relieved. So do you think this is kind of like diversity in the workplace where that lip service is fed, they're building strategies around that for good PR but we're not even close from the standpoint of mental health to address that. We're, we're still doing equality and, and the diversity piece. How do we get to that point as an organization and even as security practitioners kind of trying to get this promoted out there uh, and more awareness you know, in those organizations that are probably not as open to it? Uh, I wish I had a, a smart answer for that. Um, that's, that's a question everyone's wrestling with. Um, how do we how do we make uh, these conversations normal and comfortable and and motivational? Uh, how do we get people being absolutely comfortable telling the whole world that they are struggling with th th these diseases, that they are wrestling with demons every day? And I don't know how. Is it? I don't know if it's bad leadership. I don't know if we're not making enough noise about it. Um, I know in security, it's about bad leadership. We don't have many good leaders in security. We've got lots of great people in security, but I, a lot of them don't want to be leaders. I know so many great people in security, and I say, I say, you should be a CISO by now, and even just as a term. But you know, you should be the leader of of a security team. And they said, no, I don't want it. It's not me. It's too close to C-suite. I, 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 I'm not a suit kind of guy. I'm not interested in budgets or planning. Whatever the reasons are. But I think because of that, we have a lot of great security people and the dearth of security leaders. And you need leadership to take on really, really challenging, probably the most challenging um, issue that we all have, that every organization, every individual faces. What's going on in this three pounds of fat? Um, it's not hard to understand. Your science has made leaps and bounds. Very easy to understand how to, how to get this fixed and get it right. But we're just, we won't talk about it. We just won't talk about it. I mean, these conversations are still right. Is that? Well, yeah, I, I oh, think it's that component yeah. of leadership. Sorry, Josh. The the component no. of leadership, right? That is that empathy. And there's a big difference between a good manager that can get results and a leader who has empathy and and can really drive and motivate people and actually cares about people. Is that one of the major differences in, in your mind, Neil, and why you call out leadership? 
I don't know if it's if it's if it's even empathy. I mean, they it just they, they don't want to go there. A lot a, a lot of the reason is they don't have, they don't know how to go there. Yeah, they don't know what the problems are. They don't know what mental illness is. They they don't know how to talk to people about it. How um you know hey team hands up here who's crazy, you know um hands up here who's got uh, is suffering with the, you know depression or PTSD or bipolar or whatever anxiety. Um, it, 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 it's, it's, they don't have the tools and the skills to start those conversations. Um, they don't seem to want to learn them. And uh, maybe it's just they're so busy doing so many other things. And I think it, 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 it maybe it's just the time that we're in, 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 in the human race. We're not quite ready to focus on this, you know, critical infrastructure. We're not quite there yet. We, we, even when we're not talking about mental illness, we're rarely talking about the brain. We rarely talk about brain health. We we rarely talk about you know cognitive function about about all the things that we can do and think and eat that 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 make this thing function better. That make us happier, make us more committed and motivated and and kinder and grateful. We don't talk about those either. So it's not just a fear of mental illness and going down dark passages with strange people. It's we just do not want to talk about the brain at all. And I still haven't figured out what that is, why that is. It's yeah, and I've, it's, I've, I mean, I it's somewhat of a generational thing too. Like I feel, I don't want to call it boomers, but like the people that I can recall in my experience that have phrased it this way uh, have been from that generation. And they'll say like, if I say, well, you know, I've got a friend or whatever, and like they're really depressed, or my other friend they suffer from anxiety, and they'll say in every situation, like the narrative is pretty much the same. They'll say. Oh, everyone's depressed. Everyone's anxious and has anxiety. Like, just get over suck it. it up. Yeah, yeah, suck it up. Yeah. Like, get over yeah. it. Like, I think that's a generation yeah. thing, right? Yeah. And I, and You're weak minded. Oh, You're weak minded. Yeah. This is a good Neil. Sorry. And it well, I think I I think to be fair, thirty years ago we really didn't know that much about how the brain works. We didn't know what causes. We didn't know about chemical imbalances. We didn't know mm. much about serotonin and dopamine and things like that. We didn't know much about neuroplasticity and neurogenesis. We know so much more now. We know how it works. We know why it's broken. Generally, there are lots of things we still don't know. I say I say we. I mean, the, the, the broader population. I'm not a neuroscientist. Um, or I haven't played one on TV either, but I'm hoping to get some gigs out of this, maybe. <laughs> I mean, you got to get the beard back. I know. It's, yeah, no, not a chance. <laughs> Just for men or something like that. And um, now from our neuroscience we, correspondent, <laughs> Dr. Neil. <laughs> hey, you know, Security Weekly, you know, Crazy <laughs> Weekly. And I don't mind calling myself crazy, by the way. I, I use a term uh, in a lot of things that I do called banjax. It's a it's a uh, a gentleized term for broken. And I don't mind admitting that I am, I'm a little banjax in some ways and a lot banjax in other ways. But I think now we we know so much about how the brain works. And we know there are so many things we can do to help ourselves. We know that it's not our fault that they happened, but it is our fault if we don't do anything about it. And like I said earlier, doing something about it does not necessarily mean pharmaceuticals and therapists. Yeah. Um, there are so many things, I mean, that I've been trying that as a cynical old Irishman, if I, you know, if we had this conversation five years ago, I would have, you know, we wouldn't be drinking buddies anymore. Uh, you call me crazy, and you're talking about mindfulness. You, you know, you, yeah, no, I don't think so. But now, you know, I breathe. I know how to breathe. Wonderful. Yep. I've been doing it since I was a baby, twenty-five thousand a day, and only now have I figured out how to do it right. And suddenly, I don't have stress in my life. Hmm. So, Neil, one of the thing, know, one of the things that you said um, 
really sort of uh, hit me. Um, you know, as as someone that has hired staff and some of them who have had um, some issues with anxiety and agoraphobia and a whole bunch of other stuff. Um, there's, uh, you mentioned that, you know, as, as leaders, we don't want to talk about it. And I think one of the things that at least here in the U S that, you know, we have to be careful of as, you know, someone that is working with staff and so forth, that it's that, you know, I loved your, you know, the, you're sitting in a meeting and you say, all right, put your hands up if you're crazy, uh, put your hand up if you're depressed. Like we can't ask those questions. HIPAA, HIPAA, HIPAA. Yeah, HIPAA, and you know, if I were to ask those questions, I'd have human resources down my throat so fast, and I'd be finding myself in the unemployment line. The problem that I've got is that I'd love to know those things, and I'd love to have folks be willing to volunteer those things so that I can learn about it, so I can be more effective in helping do what we need to do and understand all of the components that go into all of those people about it. That I think the big problem is, is that, you know, I can't ask that question of the staff. No. So no. I'm sorry. Oh. Yeah. I mean, I, I think one approach, you're absolutely right. It's, it's something that you can't just, you, you can't force them to reveal and you can't, you can't pressure them to do it. But if you create a situation where uh, you speak in the way that they feel, or they speak in the way that we feel. So I think if you start conversations in the workplace that don't sound like they come from a how-to manual for managers, but that are spoken by people who understand what it's like to be inside the brain of someone who's mentally ill, the, the nuances of it, I think you're going to make a lot, a lot more of those people feel far more comfortable in talking about it, in revealing, in exchanging. And when one does, two will, three will. I think that's how we break the dam. Beautiful. But you have to, you have to um, talk about and bring in discussions of mental health into the workplace in a language that those who are struggling understand. It can't be patronizing, it can't be clinical, and it has to recognize that, as I said to Paul earlier, it's like a fingerprint. Everyone has a different version of a mental illness. It, it hits everyone in different ways. Sure. Uh, and recognizing those subtleties and nuances, I think, will make people confident that, okay, you really do get me. You really do get what it's like to be me. Maybe I am now a little bit more comfortable to talk about it, at least first in private, and then see where that goes. Josh, sorry, you so trying to ask a question no, earlier. <laughs> Several I, times. I've actually, <laughs> yeah, well, that's okay. It's it, What are you going to do? Loud mouths around here, man. So um, I've, I've got a couple of things to say. And first off, congrats and bravo. Uh, for being so open and for working on a topic that is so stigmatized and so delicate, shall we say? Um, I wonder. Uh, you know, you mentioned about infosec people. It's not. It's not solely us. There's um, there's a friend of mine, uh, Derek Harp. His wife, Trisha Harp, is a is a therapist, and she's been collecting data on the mental health and families of entrepreneurs for a long time. And uh, effectively, like some of the conclusions are pretty ugly. And it, it rang very true and very similar to InfoSec people as well. Uh, and I think you'd get a um, you'd get a kick out of talking with her. Uh, it, it, it's difficult when you have people that are so driven that it becomes their entire world to understand how their mental health is uh, so locked into that, if you will, and and becomes... You know, when, when your work becomes who you are, your mental health is is shaken, especially when you start burning out on a regular basis and are in jobs that uh, have you in windowless rooms 
working in front of a computer screen for screen for yep. 10 or 15 Probably. hours a day. And then you have a pandemic where mental health issues triple in a year. And then you're locked in to your and resources computer screen. Go the other way. What's that? Resources go the other way. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And salaries have been coming down for pen testers in certain circumstances and for infosec people. And the, 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 it's, it's, you know, it's difficult. Uh, I'm, I'm also curious. Do you, do you know, uh, Amanda Berlin? Yes. Uh, mental health hackers, right? Yeah. yeah. I just, yeah. I just hit her up on Twitter and said, tune in. You want to watch this? Cause I didn't know if you knew each other. So. And it's and it's right. Yeah. We, we know of each other. We've exchanged emails and talked a bit. I've never met her or talked much to her. But she's she's an example of where where we don't want to be because they are doing so much work to bring this ad into the open. And from what I can tell, they're not getting an all, a lot of support. I mean, you know, you you need a lot. Of, basically, they, they, they're they're marketing a brand, mental health and security, and that leads a lot. That takes a lot of money, a lot of a lot of uh, people to support it. And I'm not sure they're getting much support, much real support from the you know, the heavy hitters, the Caesars, the people with funding, the HR people, whatever it is. But she's still pushing. She and and her crew are pushing hard. So tell me how you're different. Forgive me. Let me let me ask that question. How am I different? Yeah. What's what's the difference between the two organizations? I'm curious. Um, she's an organization, and I'm not. Um, <laughs> That's a good one. Okay. <laughs> You know, she she has a group of people. I'm just me. Um, I'm just um, this. I mean, they have a number of different programs. They work. They they work around a lot of the the conferences. They they network far better than I do. I've lost touch with a lot of people in security, um, and I kind of float in and out of it. You know, I've uh, I tried to get out of security, got dragged back in. Some clients in in, in California. Now I'm back in in mental health again. I think our messages are all the same. I think mine is is slightly different now in that it's all I do, except for those clients. But it's really all I do, and it's um, it's trying to use myself as a guinea pig, try all these things that I'm learning, seeing what the results are and sharing those, and then just evangelizing the hell out of people that there are so many things that you can do to take care of your own mind that involve a lot of fluffy words that we don't like saying, things like gratitude and happiness and kindness. It's amazing how they can uh, fully and permanently rewire your brain so this shit doesn't stink so much. Um, Neil, so I think hope that answered your question, Senator. I think there's probably some people listening that are like, "But what do you mean by mental illness?" I think a lot of us think of mental illness as like a you know the extreme is you know like padded cell, but I think you're using the term in a more general sense. So what are some examples that may help people go? Yeah, you know what? Maybe I do need to to think about that more and think about like a treatment plan for myself because I didn't really realize it, right? Yeah, absolutely. I think it's it's really important that you learn. And again, going back to your three pounds of mush, three pounds of, of fat water and sheer bloody magic stuck between your ears. Learn what's going on up there. It is everything that you are. Um, it is important to learn to learn the difference what mental illness is. The difference between anxiety and just being anxious, mm -hmm. the difference between bombed and being, you know, major depressive disorder or, or bipolar depression. Um, it really is important to understand because you you either might ignore it, which is not good. Or you might misdiagnose it, which is equally not good. Or you may think, yeah, well, it, it, I was going to repeat myself. You may think it's one thing and it's actually something else. Mm. Um, 
it, it really is important to, if you're seeing signs in your behavior, and for me, it's my way of thinking more than acting. I didn't act. I didn't behave. I was wound up like a coil. No one could read me. All the chaos was in here. Um, and it's only when I started to, to write down what it's like to be in my head. And, and, and it's amazing when you put things on paper. And, you know, I'm this, I'm this. This is how I feel about this. This is how I feel about myself. I have, I have all these crazy thoughts since I was a teenager. And I wrote them down and finally began to self-diagnose. So it looks like I got this, 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 and this. And then at least I had the good senses to, to, to decide self-diagnosis is not the best thing. And I, I started sharing them with, with doctors. And they said, oh, yeah, yeah, okay, we can confirm you have this. There's no blood test for depression. You know, there's no DNA test for, 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 for schizophrenia. So you have to kind of diagnose yourself first, which, you know, requires you to think deeply, take some time to think about why you think the way that you do. And this is probably the most important lesson that I got out when I started pulling this thread and started practice, practicing these things. The idea of metacognition, metacognition. Um, um, uh, Zuckerberg will explain it in more detail later in the PowerPoint. But metacognition <laughs> is just thinking more about the way that you think, mm. thinking about why you think certain way, uh, why you process thoughts like stress in different ways. And when you start pulling on that thread, it reveals all things about your your views of the world, your your values, uh, your self-imposed stressors. So this idea of metacognition is really an important first step towards figuring out. Do you just think in different ways or is there something wrong with your wiring that you really should address? Yeah, it's interesting. And a lot of that stuff can go mislabeled, I'll call it, through a significant portion of your life, right? Like I, yeah. it was the example, will share something about me. Like I was labeled a procrastinator. And I always thought like, well, that's a negative thing. Like I don't want to be a procrastinator, right? But it turns out that's probably. But like did an, you do something about it? Yeah, it's, <laughs> and I put off doing something about it for and all those years. It. And I'll say that I'm a procrastinator. <laughs> but it turns out that could that could be ADD. That could be you know a number of different things that you've just been kind of mislabeled. You know, back to my example, Sammy the Bull. Like they called him stupid, and it turns out he was like severely dyslexic. Right. Yeah, I was always told as a kid I was shy, and I couldn't understand it because inside yeah. I wasn't. Inside I was fearless. Right. I wasn't afraid of anything. Uh, but I couldn't be around people. I just, I had this physical reaction to being around people. Um, and I eventually diagnosed with severe social anxiety with avoidant personality. And as soon as it was, it was described to me, it, it, it was almost like someone had just written the book of my life. Because mm. everything I've done in, in my life reflects that diagnosis, matches it. I hide away from people. I've never had I've never had a job because I couldn't work in a workplace. I couldn't be around people. So I always had to be an entrepreneur, which goes back to what you talked about earlier. A lot of entrepreneurs struggle with social anxiety. So they become entrepreneurs because the other option is not available. Right. They can't get a job. They can't be around people. They can't take orders from people. They can't network. They can't go to, to conferences. They they can't glad hand because they are so tightly wrapped up in this this internal anxiety about the way people perceive them uh, being going it alone is their only option. They're kind of forced to be an entrepreneur, which is kind of what, what, what how, how I ended up. So yeah, it's um, mislabeling, not labeling at all. Mm -hmm. It's, it's complex. It really, it, and that's why it's so hard to, to address. You don't know where to start. 
I keep talking about pulling this thread. It's a long thread. Where 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 do you start pulling it? it, it you know, how do you even spot that it's a thread? It's you really have to have you have got to be very brutally honest with yourself. I think one of the the big places that we have we do have the opportunity to make. Uh, a difference and make some headway is really starting, you know, A, with ourselves, yes, and learning some of these traits and, and things to look for and how to better ourselves, but really training the next generation and, and our kids to be open to talk about things that we struggle with, to get them to understand the difference between raw emotion and the reaction to those emotions, their ability to control and reframe and utilize their mental capabilities. Like all of these things are. Uh, if taught at home and trained early, like we can begin to make an effect in, in very small ways, but that can trickle down. A lot of what we're seeing is uh, kind of that, that boomer generation of, you know, suck it up, be tough, don't talk about emotion, deal with it, go to work, you know, do the thing uh, and, and not talking about that. So the next generation of, of kids that, you know, are either us or our parents um, have done kind of the same thing because that's trained behavior. So we can't really break that cycle uh, or expect corporations and enterprises to solve this problem if we're not able to solve some of this at home and be good examples. Yeah, you bring up a really, really good point there. And I, so I've started working on this initiative in the, just on the last couple of weeks. It's just an idea right now, but I, I've done a lot of work in schools with kids on cybersecurity, you know, going back about ten, even 10 years ago. Um, but I thought about this idea. It's very, you're absolutely right. You know, we need to start talking about mental health and the brain and brain health to kids in high school, at least at the latest. But it's very, it's like the workplace. Besides the fact it's juvenile and, and, and a little bit toxic. Um, you know, it, it, high schools and school kids are uncomfortable talking about mental illness. They, they don't know what it is. They don't know how to explain it because you're talking about feelings and they haven't fully developed their ability to describe and express their feelings. And it's awkward and, you know, everyone knows the kids who have ADD and ADHD and autism and stuff like that. They, they just don't know way their, their way around them. So I have this theory. Um, neuroscientists tell us that the most successful people in the world are the happiest people. They're not happy because they're successful. They're successful because they're happy. Lots of great studies from the Greater Good Science Center at UC Berkeley, from the Gratitude Project, I think, in UCLA has done a lot of work on it, that happier people are the most successful in life. They have the most friends. They, the, they have the most self-confidence. They make more money. They have better jobs. They get better promotion. Okay? So if scientists are right about that, so, you know, 15, 16-year-old, if you want to be successful in anything that you do and touch, if you want to be popular, if you want to be admired and respected, if you want to have the best possible life, you just have to be happy. All the other crap doesn't matter. So pull that thread. You see, you can see, I, I talk like a seamstress. That's my, my weaving background. I'm always talking about threads. But anyway, <laughs> pull that. Yank that chain. So scientists have also seemed to have concluded, well, what's the best path to, happy, uh, to happiness? They think it's kindness. So that's a way to start a conversation with school kids, that, that a message that they will get. We're not going to talk about dark subjects uh, like depression or anxiety or bullying and uh, uh, any of these things. We're going to talk about what probably matters most to you in life, being popular, being successful, being admired, being liked, being part of a group. You can kindness your way there. And so the first and, and so I started testing this in some people and say, well, OK, that's great. That sounds great. What is the first thing I need to do? What's my path to being kind? It's such a massive word. 
It starts very simply, stop doing unkind things. So if you started that conversation in high schools, I think it could be a very, very relatable way to introduce discussions about the brain, about mental and brain health, because this all happens in the brain. Um, a lot of unkindness happens because of broken brain. Uh, you're dealing with your own stuff, so you don't know how to deal with others. Um, you're angry all the time because things are broken in your head and you're screaming and no one gets it. No one gets why you're weird or odd or, or you've got sweaty hands or can't make a conversation or you're not good at sports or you have low self-esteem, whatever it is. Something is going on in your head and you can't put words to it. But if we could start the discussion in a language and on the topic that most teams would absolutely embrace, kindness, um, happiness and success in everything in life, when you're in school and when you leave, I think that might be a very powerful way to, to, to introduce those incredibly important discussions. Well, all this is happening up here, and it's directly connected to mental wellness and unwellness. Neil, can you go back in time 35 years and go have a chat with 12-year-old Larry, please? Because mm. he'd really like to hear that. <clears throat> Was there ever Are a 12-year-old Are you that young, Larry you bastard? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Jesus. No, he's his math is off. No, it's not. <laughs> it's not. I'm 47. <laughs> nice try. Pressure. I get it. But but yeah, so imagine if we introduced that concept to high school kids. Not just, I mean, think of all the, 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 the collateral benefits. Not yeah. just introducing mental wellness and mental health at a very early age when they're comfortable talking about it because they have a comfortable language, but creating maybe the first generation of kind people which in turn will turn create the first generation of genuinely happy people. And happy people is not just people who do happy things or things that make them happy, but they are happy in their core. They are, they are, they are happy in their being and their self. Uh, imagine how that would change the world. It's, 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 it's a lovely idea to think about it, but it's not beyond the realms of possibility. Because look at me. I was a deeply unhappy, deeply cynical old Irishman. And I've reached a... a, a, a a level of a degree of, of calm and zen and, and tolerance that I've never experienced before. I mean, I grew up in the intelligence community, and that makes you very cynical. I've, 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 I, when I was in my 20s, I was dealing with car bomb threats. My phone was being tapped. I, I had kept a shotgun by my bed. It, you know, this is my 20s. That kind of, you know, and when you're dealing with mental illness, that kind of breaks you a little. But learning these tools and tricks just flipped that absolutely completely. I'll give you a story. Please. I'm Irish. I have to. <laughs> the very first time I tried mindfulness a few years ago, I never tried it before. Completely cynical about it. I was, I was going to try it for 10 minutes, as they told me to try it for at least 10. I spent the first three years struggling with this wind tunnel of ideas, which you, you tend to ADD. I was just I had a million things that I had to do. I got to eight minutes. So, so essentially, I got five minutes of mindfulness, mindful breathing. Very first time. I floated out of that room with the most euphoric sense of peace and calm that I have ever felt. My wife came around the corner and she kind of looked at me and I just floated towards her with this grin on my face and she said, you're like, what in the holy prefrontal cortex is wrong with you? And it's almost as though at that moment, she figured out just a moment too late that she'd actually married a serial killer because I had that kind of that kind of incredible sociopathic grin on my face. Um, but it, so, so five minutes of mindfulness flipped the switch for me. It, and it taught me 
this is all that easy. And it didn't cure my depression. It didn't cure my anxiety. I struggled from suicidal ideation, have for probably 20 years. Think about, I, I have suicide is my, is, my, is my happy place. You know, everyone needs a little suicide room or was it the Simpsons, a crying room. Um, but it, it didn't cure it, but it calmed it. It took the edge off everything because it took the edge off uh, stress. Um, it made me calmer. Uh, it gave me more perspective, made me more grateful. So all these things, just from my five minutes of mindfulness and breathing, um, if we could get those ideas into everyone's heads and hands, especially in cybersecurity, but especially among the teens. I mean, I see efforts in high schools now, but I, it annoys me because it's, well, there's a mindfulness class this term. That's not going to do it. That's, you know, that might turn them off mindfulness forever. If you're, you know, your gym instructor is the one who's doing it. It's just me. No. Yeah, it, it's interesting how mental health is like maintaining any other kind of health, whether it's the health of your network, the health of your security program, it's it's about diligence and developing good habits, and it's not something that you do uh, once, and then I like I'll get back to that in the next couple of months or whatever. Like, you gotta the, bake it in from the beginning. Yeah, very much like security, right? Like hygiene. No, we use the you, word hygiene all the time. You can fix it. I mean, there's uh there's an entire country that tried uh, Bhutan, isn't it? Uh, that yeah. that has an index the of happiness place in the world. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and they yeah. actually measure life by how happy they are, and yeah. they are uh, there's there's. They are struggling a little bit. I, I haven't, uh, yeah. I didn't know that. They're struggling economically because of happiness. Interesting. Hmm. Okay, and then there's uh, what, laughing what? clubs in India. Yeah. It's, so, it's, sorry, it's, I, I, it's, it's I some of this. The, all, all the little therapies and tricks that are out there. I mean, you can, you can give your, your, your brain a shot of dopamine just by faking a smile. Because the brain detects the, the facial muscles responsible for smiling, moving into the smiling position, it thinks you're happy, gives you a shot of dopamine. It's quite incredible how you can you can manipulate your brain into giving you what you know what you need, not necessarily what you want. Hopefully, you do want to be happy. But there's a, there's an encyclopedia full of tricks that you can and and you talked about earlier. I mean, your brain is hardware and software. I mean, the brain's the hardware and the software is the mind. One runs on the other. You have to maintain both. You have to constantly patch and update both. And they will serve you well for, uh, well, hopefully forever. And uh, exercise, I think, for, and we, we've talked about this before uh, when we're discussing this subject, but exercise is important. Even if it's going for a walk, right? Yeah. But a yeah, run is better. In your opinion, a run is better. Well, so, so, so again, neuroscience has revealed incredible things about it. Um, um, going for a walk in the sunshine with music, friends, and pets. Uh, the one of the best things that you can do for your mental health. You're out. You're you're getting exercise. You're out in fresh air. You're out in sunshine. The body loves oxygen, vitamin D, nitric oxide. The brain lo loves them. They're they're incredibly important for the brain to keep the brain fueled to reduce inflammation, which is brain dead. Um, pets and and friends release oxytocin. Um, music releases serotonin and sometimes dopamine. So simply by those actions, you're releasing um, all four of the, of the major dose hormones, dopamine, oxytocin, serotonin, endorphins, just by those. And that's what the brain needs to be happy. But neuroscientists seem to believe that running is, is turning out to be the best thing for 
for brain health rather than mental health. They think uh, it can it can tap down the, the the development of proteins that can lead to early cognitive decline, especially dementia and Alzheimer's, which I fret about because mm-hmm. if you had a life oh, of just depression and anxiety, yeah, I couldn't resist. I'm sorry. What? <laughs> I didn't get it. Forget it, it about it. Alzheimer's. No, but I also, Neil, like, <laughs> as usual, my my wife is right. Because I told her the other day, I'm like, hey, those, like, wireless <laughs> headphones. Like, I was thinking of pairing those with my phone. Like, do you still have them? She's like, yeah, why? I'm like, I was thinking about trying to work in my routine, going for a walk. And, like, I really want to use headphones when I do that. And she's like, oh, we should sign up for a half marathon. I'm like, whoa, whoa wait a second. Hold <laughs> on. I said I wanted to go for a walk, all right? I didn't say I wanted yeah. to go run no damn half marathon like that. Touch to 5K. Come on, let's go. Yeah. She's like, yeah, but we have to set a goal for ourselves. and we don't set a goal, I'm like, can we start out with just walking? Yeah. I think- <laughs> can I set the goal? I'm going to go to a, go for a walk every day this week. Yes. <laughs> well, you know, and but it, but it does work. It's it's the, 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 um, There's a thing that's, that neuroscientists have kind of focused in the last couple of years called neurogenesis. And it, it's the, the ability of the brain, they never knew it before, to build more of itself. You know, through neuroplasticity, it can, it can uh, um, uh, spark new connections, which can help the brain be strong and healthy and make you smarter, improve memory, that kind of stuff. But neurogenesis actually makes the brain go more of, it, more of itself, which is critically, critically important because as you grow, you lose brain cells. So you actually could end up, if you do the right thing, having a bigger brain when you die than any other time in your life. But they think the only thing that they, they, they're pretty sure of so far that triggers neurogenesis is um, intense aerobic exercise and particularly running. Mm. And, you know, it, it also, I mean... Wait, how, how far do you have run- to run? How far do you have to run, Neil, though? <laughs> a half a marathon, Paul. Like a half marathon is a long... Brain, how much of your brain is missing? How much do you need to make up? Uh, You're going to need to do the full I marathon. I need to go for a full <laughs> marathon. <laughs> like, they have ultra marathons, Paul. Yeah. They have ultra yeah, marathons, okay? Yeah. Hundred miles or more. Go for it. Iron Man training. We need to do the Iron Man, right? Triathlete. Yeah. But think of all the other things. I mean, maybe you're losing weight. Um, You're feeling healthier. You feel fitter. You feel stronger. You feel more vital. That's triggering all the happy hormones, the dose hormones again. Um, So if 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 you if you look at all the things that the brain and the mind, all the things that the brain and the mind need to be ticking over at their absolute optimum, they're all a little thing. The way that you think, the way that you exercise, the food that you eat, the company that you keep. Um, it's it, The more you know about these triggers, the, 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 obviously the easier it is to trigger them, to, to do those things mm. and to think those things and to eat those things that the mind and the brain love. And it's, it's a wonderful place to be. I mean, I, you know, yeah, I'm still, I'm still here, which is a wonderful place to be. Well, we're glad you're here, Neil. And uh, you Thank created you, uh, and you created here. some researches, uh, resources rather, uh, based on your research and, and passion for this uh, topic. So, w- where can people find that, and what do you have there for folks? Yeah, so I started building this uh, video course called Get a Grip, um, and it really is it, it's based around what we're talking about. That the more you know about what's happening in your brain and your mind, the the easier it is to get a grip on it, to take control over, to manage it better. So right now, it's a, it's a collection of 12 videos. It's about 75 minutes in total. And it walks through everything we've talked about, how the dose uh, hormones, neurotransmitters work in your brain, how learning, thinking, gratitude, uh, happiness um, uh, rewire your brain, um, the types of exercise, the type of food that you need to eat, and not just about weight. In fact, it doesn't talk about weight at all or diet. It talks about how you reduce inflammation 
in, in the brain, how to practice mindfulness, how breathing changes the brain. So it's 12 episodes. It's about 75 minutes. But then what I did was I created three additional episodes that talks purely about cyber resilience. What is it about the security world, the security the life that makes us stressed and how we can uh, tackle that stress? And then it leads you into, well, here are all the other things that you can do. So you can find it at justgetagrip.co. So I'm going to change that. It's uh, I might change it to .net or something. But that was the easiest domain I could find, justgetagrip.co. Um, the lessons are there. They're between five and ten minutes each. Uh, they can be taken independently of each other. It's not a beginning and an ending course. Jump in on any subject that you want. And it's it's a mixture of everything I learned from uh, uh, neuroscience. It was what I found when I looked behind the science. Who's behind the science? What are the studies? How, how comprehensive are the studies? How long have they been going back? And then, in a lot of cases, uh, what happened when I tried it? Uh, uh, you know, when I when I started exercising again, when I started practicing gratitude, um, <clears throat> mindfulness, meditation, breathing, how it really just rewire. I became a really tell you that there's a word I love called palingenesis, a rebirth. I found myself reborn, not in a religious way, but uh, certainly in an emotional way. A few years ago, and I, I got, I learned how to get a grip. Awesome. Thank you so much for putting that together, Neil. And, and Neil, are are you the narrator of said videos for those of us who can't get enough of your Irish brogue? Mm. I am. I am. Awesome. And it's in this very studio here in Wyoming, Ohio, which is very confusing to most people. Mm, that is confusing. <laughs> Neil, I just have five questions left for you. Are you ready to play five questions with Security Weekly? Go ahead. Shoot me down. Three words to describe yourself. <clears throat> Uh, bad jacks, but happier. If you were a serial killer, what would be your weapon of choice? Knife. Always. I carried knives since I was 12 years old. Three of them all the time. If you, were knives, to, don't know why. if you were to book about yourself, what would the title be? I did. It's coming out soon. I should have plugged it. Damn. You should. Absolutely. Now's your, now's your chance. Now's What's it called? Part, now was a perfect <laughs> opportunity to plug it. <laughs> It's called Banjax. Imagine, but it's in code. It's a you know a shout out to my past life, but it's B N J X D. It's not available anywhere, so don't bother looking. But it, I'm hoping to get it out in the next couple of months. It's 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 a story. Uh, it's a story of um, uh, uh, my life in the crypto wars as a dress designer. That's awesome. What is your favorite hacker movie? Oh, favorite hacker movie. Oh, gee. I hate questions like that because I have to say something real cool or you'll figure out I'm a fraud. <laughs> um, I I honestly don't. I, I can't think of anyone. I, I And I know people have asked, been asked these questions before and I said, I really ought to remember that because that's really cool. Um, what is What was that TV series um, with Rami, whatever his name is? Mr. Robot. Mr. Mr. Robot. Robot. Mr. Robot. I love Mr. Robot. It's a good one. I, yeah. loved, I loved it because... It really did sound like he was Banjax. It really was me, except he was good at what he did. <laughs> it, it's it's interesting how it tells the story of, of mental health and yeah. illness. It, rather yeah, than attacking. It's, it's, yeah. It's, it's voices, it's it's hallucinations, it's delusions, mm -hmm. and and trying to, you know, a mission for the greater good, a mission, a, a, a purpose filled life and 
going up against these awful dark enemies and using real skills that are genuine. They do exist. I found it resonated. I, I didn't, uh, I got bored towards the end because I found it was a little bit re repetitive and, yeah. they, you know, typical, you know, writers run out of ideas. Mm -hmm. So, but yeah. So thank you for, yeah. May I just say Mr. Robot's my favorite? Yes. Yeah. You got it. Works. Choose, choose two celebrities to be your parents. Alive, dead, fictional, or otherwise? Leonard Cohen. Ooh. Uh, I, yeah, I, I, you know, I, yeah, I love Leonard Cohen. Songs of Love and Hate. I stole that from my sister as soon as she bought it. <laughs> um, who else? Who else? So it's got to be a woman, right? No. Doesn't, Doesn't have, have to, be. to be a woman. Nope. nope. Could be a robot. Who could, do I want? Could, could be a man, um, robot, yeah. alien. Well, okay. Lou Reed. Hmm. Yeah. All right. Lou Reed and Leonard Cohen. I, I, but well, it just shows how, how, how odd I was at it as a teenager, teenager. But that would be in the early seventies. Um, I love their music. So I was only thirteen or fourteen. I couldn't get enough of Death of a Lady's Man, Songs of Love and Hate, and yeah, brilliant, outstanding, brilliant. Neil, thank you so, so much. What you're telling me is, what you're telling me is my, 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 my fantasy parents are dead. That's okay. I mean, the, rule, the rule is alive, dead, fictional, or otherwise, which I still don't quite uh, understand what that means. But well, I think, I think that means we're trying to say anyone, yeah, uh, anyone, <laughs> alive or dead, or fictional, yeah, fictional or real, fictional or imaginary. That's it. You know, fictional or somebody you made <laughs> up. Yeah, Neil, thank you so much for appearing on Paul Security Weekly. Thank you, thank you so much for doing it, and let's do it again if you can stand me. Oh, let's absolutely, and we want to have you back. Absolutely, you're awesome, dude. Coming up next to the security news. Stick around. Every 11 seconds, there's a new ransomware attack. Oil pipelines, universities, corporations, all paying millions of dollars. Barracuda says, don't pay the ransom. Before a ransomware attack occurs, train your teams to recognize an attack and use anti-phishing technology. Protect your applications, and they can't get onto your network. Simple backup and restore solutions quickly recover your data without paying the ransom. Build your ransomware protection plan now by visiting securityweekly.com forward slash barracuda. That's securityweekly.com forward slash barracuda. Welcome back, everyone, to Paul's Security Weekly. Hey, look, if you want to give us a guest suggestion, you can, of course, go to securityweekly.com forward slash guests and submit that. You can also find us on Discord. So you can go to securityweekly.com forward slash subscribe. There's a Discord server invite in there. You can join a Discord server. And there's also a channel on our Discord server for guest suggestions for those that don't really want to feel like filling out the form. If you think of something, you're like, oh, you should have this person on. You can just go to Discord and, and put that in there. Mr. Joff Thayer is here with us this evening. Joff, welcome. I thought of something on the Discord. You should have me on. <laughs> we should yeah. have an ask. Anyway. You know, uh, I think it's Darknet Diaries has like an Ask Jack channel. Yeah. We should have like Ask individual hosts you can have like your own channel on our discord where anyone can ask you anything it's kind of like That's an right. ongoing never-ending ama no no guaranteed service contract on turnaround for the answer though correct because, correct you know, that's it's, one reason why i haven't added goes. that yet is uh, what's what's the sla <laughs> yeah that's right the sla is gonna be whenever i could give a fuck which maybe never <laughs> <laughs> And now, you get the uh, opportunity to do it on an individual basis. When I give a fuck about your question, right. maybe never. 
When I think I just answer? generated traffic for Discord in that one statement alone. <laughs> anyway, uh, uh, yeah, it's good to be here. Um, can um, can we do shameless promotions already? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> terrible. Are you te- what or, are you teaching or, now? Or shameful promotions. I mean, or shameful right. promotions. You know what? I've got another. Look, my my favorite class ever is the regular expressions. Your new lifestyle. It has turned into like a fanatical cult following favorite. I mean, it's amazing. This thing is, this is so much fun. So February 16th, uh, four hours, come enjoy the show. And I have one other thing to say, and that is Wild West Hackenfest, assuming the world is able to unfuck itself. Oh, shit, I said fuck. Good, uh, good luck with that. Is probably going to happen in San Diego that first week of May, it's uh, May second through the, about the seventh there. So if anybody's interested in Wild West Hackenfest, way west, we're gonna do it. We're coming to San Diego. It's gonna be a hella of a good time. Uh, you should be there. San Diego's nice because it's outdoors. Yeah, like it's always seventy-five degrees and sunny in San Diego. I so those you can do a lot of things outdoors. Those, you, you know, I I am Ironically, I am no right. Yeah. Uh, first of all, a natural optimist. So I am hoping that we have just a hell of a good throwdown party and that the world has totally un you know what itself and, and things are just going to be raucously fun. That's but what John, I'm hoping for. Your, your class is on February 16th? Yes, that's the next regular expressions class. And it's more than likely that I'm going to teach regular expressions again, a special extended edition at Wild West Hackenfest in San Diego, I'm going to do a six-hour, a full one-day of regular expressions. Oh, just for see, fun. Well, okay. now, now I'm not. Now I'm not doing the February 16th one. <laughs> well, let's be clear. <laughs> at the Wild West Hackenfest class, I would put a challenge out there that perhaps the students of this class could give Joff a shot of whiskey or a beverage of his choice for every properly done regular expression. That's a lot of drinking. Yes, yes, yes. I will definitely I mean, take know, single malt. I'm, I'm a big fan of single malts. I wonder <laughs> I how many regular too. expressions it takes to get to the center of a Joff pop. Mm. Wow. Challenge thrown. Look at that. <laughs> One, two. Yes. Pop. <laughs> three. <laughs> <laughs> right. Hey, how do you guys Man, feel? Uh, wait, 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 wait. I just got to say, it's so good to see Larry. I haven't seen Larry in a while. So, Larry, love you, man. Virtual hugs. Virtual hugs. Love you too, Jeff. Hey, Paul, so, can I do one quick uh, Yes. One quick announcement? So, I've got mine and you know what it is. I told you in the pre-show, but um, uh, I have to do it. Uh, hi. Uh, Josh is pregnant. Josh oh. is pregnant. Congratulations. Yeah. Oh, and it's your wife. It's well, my wife's pregnant. You said you have to do it. It looks like you already did, my friend. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> At least once. But hey, practice makes perfect. No, 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 no. Twice. I have another kid. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> so once at least you, recently, fairly recently, which is, you know. Uh, yeah, no, yeah, science yeah, you has know, worked out what causes that, too. That's right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, so Josh, Janice is, is pregnant. Uh, congratulations. Mm-hmm. Who's the father? Thank you. Yeah. You know, I haven't figured that out yet. <laughs> man, you opened yourself up. To yeah, don't ask too many questions, oh, I man. Just I know, I know. Go I know. with it. Congratulations. It's wonderful. Care. Life is good. We're very happy That's for you. That's awesome. I Everybody's the healthy. has got one of those wonderful. Jewish space lasers badges, you know. <laughs> <Hey>. <laughs> that made Josh laugh. That was good. 
How do you guys right. feel about using Twitter to prioritize your security patching strategy? It's actually not a bad strategy. It's not a bad strategy. It is a legitimate. But I, I'm on curious, the surface, it sounds ridiculous, right? It does. Yeah, like, like it does. Yeah, it does. But no, actually, no, but seriously, how many places do you get infosec threat intelligence from? And the answer is. Well, I have all these threat feeds that I pay tens of thousands of dollars for, and Twitter's about twice as accurate and zero cost. All it takes is a little time. Very fast. Hmm. And uh, mostly because someone will disclose the exploit and or how it's being weaponized on Twitter. And essentially, if you know how to mine that, you can mine it as a threat feed, essentially. Yeah, you hire an intern. Isn't that how you do it? You have to be very careful, and you have to curate your Twitter list pretty pretty heavily. Yeah, you got to know who to follow. Mine is narrowed down very very tightly, but I can see how that could be a bad thing to. <laughs> yeah, I will have to. Uh, we'll have to talk after the show, Tyler, because I, I realized that my, one of my feed reader can aggregate Twitter feeds much better than it used to. So I, I you only, should probably I do a webcast on how to curate a Twitter feed for that. Yeah, oh, that'd be cool. Yeah, I I can't read Twitter for more than two minutes, and then I've got like. You know, five days worth of reading and tabs queued up in Chrome and my laptop's crashing because Chrome is crashing. Yeah. Not to mention all the rage. <laughs> that too. That's another excess of curation. You're like, you curate to, to cut out the annoying people, you know? So do you just like search Twitter for like hashtag exploit and if it's there, that's what, you, that's what you're patching? No, you can't go I, by ha- You can't go by hashtag. You have to go by account, right? Yeah. I'm pretty, I'm pretty careful about what you count and even then, like I have a few that do some really high quality things and I'll turn off alerting and then, you know, scroll through some stuff on, on a different channel or, or a different persona. But yeah, mine is mine is pretty clean. It's it's very accurate on what's going on and, and the situational awareness of the Twitter verses. Yeah. Uh, Kenna, founder Ed Bellis, uh, who we've had on the show in the past, uh, he's a great guy. Uh, he mentions Twitter, surprisingly, has a much better signal to noise ratio than CVSS. It says about two times better. And then I mean, they've studied this, which I think is interesting. That's actually pretty funny, but sad. <laughs> uh, CVS has a lot of, there's a lot of factors in CV, CVSS. And when you look at Twitter, I feel like, well, if people are talking about it and is indicative that there is an exploit and it's actively being used, that probably <clears throat> is what you want to pay attention. You at least, you have to, do you have to pay attention to those? I mean, you should pay attention to those. Above and beyond, like CVSS and all these different ways to weight and rank and uh, compensating controls and all the other you know factors that we've talked about, like basically, if people if that's what people are using, like fix that first. Is it as simple as that? Maybe it is. TLDR. It's it's like CVSS and TLDR. Like, yeah. What is the problem? Yeah, see, like why? See, What's everyone taking up? <laughs> I I think Tyler, you kind of nailed it, right? I mean, t- Twitter to me is kind of like putting your finger out and to see which way the wind is blowing, right? Mm. It, it's that sort of trendometer, right? And, and if, if you've got the right set of network contacts, which most of us have, you can see from an offensive or and or defensive perspective, and of course they're both related, exactly what's going on. But that's deeper than uh, uh, Joe Rogan once described social media, and I'll never forget the quote because he was like, Facebook is where old people share their political views. Instagram is where people share <laughs> pictures. And he said, Twitter is a bunch of monkeys flinging poo. <laughs> Accurate. Not far, that's not far that's off. Not Wait, far what's off. That's not far off. That is not far off. So, but, what, but, so what's know, TikTok? 
What's TikTok? Uh, people don't people sharing people posting videos. Yes. Thirst traps. Of course, well, Instagram has reels and sort of <laughs> crappy, Facebook, crappy Facebook. porn. TikTok is crappy porn. Mm -hmm. Otherwise known it's as thirst traps. Russian and China disinformation videos. <laughs> mm. But you have to acknowledge that the way we curate Twitter. Twitter, right. It's, we're filtering out the, the poo, basically. Right. Yeah. We're it's like Twitter is almost its own thing. <laughs> Honestly, if someone had a platform that was very similar to Twitter and was just InfoSec focused, like InfoSec oh, I'd Twitter, be it. very, uh, it's very curated as is and is very specific in a lot of niche areas that, that overlap well. So, so if I you were to pitch in, pitching to investors, a drama free InfoSec Twitter, you, you might, you might get some funding, you think? Web 3.0 metaverse. Uh, you got to use all the buzzwords in there. Yeah. Yeah. App, apps. Shit. And, I've yeah. already drunk a lot streaming. tonight. <laughs> <laughs> all right. We'd have to have Tyler's the InfoSec Twitter drink, in the metaverse. Man. In the metaverse. In the metaverse. Backed by blockchain and we'll, we'll NFT everybody's uh, wallet so that, you know, their signature and verify. Every on, tweet on is an NFT. Yeah. And don't forget, yeah. we're going to throw oh. a little AI and ML in there too. AI, ML, curated NFT Twitter threat intelligence feed in the metaverse blockchain verified. in the metaverse uh, with an augmented reality game and oh wait uh, uh, stored on a blockchain uh, besides the NFT oh no no there's a coin with an initial coin offering initial coin. Of, you, need a, you need a coin I mean Signal has a coin the, everyone's got a coin you need, you need your own the, coin the SW coin the SW coin I want to see. I want to see the pitch deck on that next week. <laughs> All right, well, I nailed it. I give give me five seconds. That. I'll have a copy paste on the white paper. I mean, a, 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 an there original white paper. <laughs> oh, All right. God, you just reminded me of something I need to do. Next story. <laughs> Google Docs comments are being used to launch phishing attacks. Is this? Is this anything new? I or is this? No, it's not new. Well, it's just interesting. <laughs> I mean, if you guys use this on on you know pen tests and such, hundred yeah. percent. So do you <laughs> do you have to have a document within that Google? I'm assuming you could probably do this with Office 365 or no. Office 365 would be a little bit different because you'd have to allow external uh, resources and or organizations as well as be able to tag that. So that organization would have to be yes. added into. Trust so that's resource. a big difference I find between G Suite and Office 365. Office 365 is a very much a walled garden, um, and you have to go out of your way to unwall that garden. With G Suite, it's a lot more loosey goosey and open. In other words, I can just go into any Google Doc on anyone's Google Drive, and I can at mention someone what by email address, and it'll send them a, a message with a link to that document. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Yep, and or a link to a resource external to that document. You can do both. It takes a little bit more effort to do the second one. So you can swap the link out, or is it a configuration setting? Yes. Both? Both. Interesting. So, so there has been, if I recall correctly, some interesting work into remote interrelated... Uh, macro behavior, if I recall correctly, between uh, Office 365 hosted documents. Uh, so there, there's some possibilities there, but they're they're within the walled garden. Within the walled garden, right. right. Yeah. 
a different different threat approach, different initial start, and yeah, the way Office three sixty five apps render the documents, it, it's not the traditional like you know OLE with an exe calling that. Like it's a little bit different how those API calls end. Uh, we'll call them WebSocket docs interact because you can do like live editing yeah. and stuff. So this is all WebSocket based, mm-hmm. and the application and the way it loads the doc. Uh, format is not docx so it's very there's some interesting things there's a there's a little bit of research there to be done mm. but there are people looking at this very heavily right now uh it is interesting though because this notification gets to the end user in what is seemingly like a more trusted format because it's not it's not coming from the attacker right it's coming from the coming platform from and i'm more likely to trust that both in my technical uh, controls, but also in my user, I'm more likely to trust that because I didn't get an email from what is obviously like a spoofed, uh, you know, account and email and name and all that stuff. I'm getting an email from Google. Yeah, it's trust. It's a trusted source and or you have the ability to manipulate the name. The name can be whatever you want. So, you know, you're leveraging someone's open source you know, OSINT yep, yep. and figuring out, you know, colleagues via LinkedIn making the colleague's name with inside that, you know, how, how you do the pretext, you know, there's multiple ways, but even something as simple as, you know, I'm not on my computer right now. Here's the, the edits, uh, from my personal account. And you can, you can set up a, an entire Gmail account that even looks, uh, very real with a good pretext on top of having the name and, or having it come from trusted sources. So there's multiple See, my, ways. To my security that. awareness, uh, training program didn't prepare me for this, Tyler. It just no, told me to look no. at the name in the email, and it came from Google. So I, why shouldn't I trust it? This is what's this, wrong with security awareness training. So this is this is like the unpopular view of twenty twenty two. We'll call it like mm-hmm. is security awareness training dead? Probably not. Like we still need to train users. There's still things that they can help with, and you know they may catch the occasional thing that gets through. But if it's sophisticated enough to get by most of your EDR, most of your spam protection. Uh, your end user is not equipped to deal with that. In fact, I would argue that you know even most of uh, us infosec people, without a lot of evaluation or tools, are not equipped to find that, see it. You know, hovering over a link does not fix uh, security now. Like the ability. I'm going to push back a little bit because I think the issue uh, is if it, I got a notification about a document in Tyler's name was in there. I would message Tyler on Slack and be like, hey, dude, did you just share a document with me? Because I'm not clicking on it yet unless I check with you first. And I think that's the kind of training. It's not really that's security awareness training, right? It's process and procedures training that yeah, you need is. to have for your employees. That's 100% correct. And that that is the difference. Process and procedures and the methods that people do validation or verification for, for sensitive things is the training that needs to happen. It doesn't need to be – there should be technology backing mm-hmm. users – actions the behaviors users right. do there should be technology technology supporting things that protect them now behaviors and processes when you go to transfer funds or do an ACH or mm-hmm. you get something that has a security alert you need to do a verification check via your process and security that's good training right there that fixes we'll call it 80% of things the Josh, rest of it technology should be handling yep Josh so that's yeah that, that I mean that's what I was going to say I, I, I did security awareness training for a, an old client that I've been doing for for years and I changed it a lot uh, over the last few years it's not you know I still do the hey look hover over a link yeah do, yeah, do yeah. some basic basic stuff but I do more of look let me tell you what's going on in the world let me tell you how you in your organization can help by doing these things 
If you're not sure, go ask. They don't mind, that type of thing. Right. It's more about the process and procedure. It's more about the the perception and the 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 the, the understanding. Use your critical faculties. You know, it's not don't <laughs> click anything. If anything is clickable, don't touch it anymore. You know, we don't do that anymore. It's more along the lines of too, right? Like that's the that? big thing. That security buy-in from user awareness training, that's, getting security's name out there, getting the culture changing, getting people on board with security so that your security team is not fighting against department heads, fighting against users. They understand what the onus is, providing them that personal realization of why this matters, and then getting that culture to shift because the end user is involved in security becomes a team at effort where that mindset shifts for both sides and you're not fighting the security battle because you guys all are on the same team that's where security awareness really has value if you can change that to that positive reinforcement and that positive uh, behavior around security awareness and your security team but also I actually think, you know, i do that hang on i got go so I, I i actually in the security awareness training i did i actually did that by giving them examples of in their personal life where security mattered i talked to them about scams they're going to experience at home not necessarily at work. I also talk about how technology changes what we think of, uh, of the world and how it changes our world. My famous or my favorite example is how driverless cars are going to change their property taxes. They're like, what? And I'm like, well, driverless cars don't get speeding tickets. Most towns get a lot of revenue from speeding tickets. Where are they going to make the revenue shortfall up? And all like the lights just go on behind the eyes. I'm like, so technology is going to change your life. If you understand technology and you're working with technology and you work with your security team work with your it team if you build those relationships it's going to be helpful if you don't you're going to be left behind and you're not going to know where to turn when you actually see something that's bad so i 100 tyler i'm 100 on this what you're saying i just try to make it uh, sort of real to them and normal to them it's not it's not an alien concept and uh, it works really, really well. Uh, every every company I've done that for over the years has reported incredible engagement from their employees with their security team and their IT team. Yeah, and I think that's important. And also, I think that we have so many different ways in which we can communicate today. We should use that to our advantage. You know, the example I gave, if I get an email with a link, can I verify that? You know, most of us that work for a company today have an email account. We can text message our employees and likely have some other kind of messaging platform, right? Whether that's Teams or Slack or whatever. We should use that to our advantage to be able to, you know, double check things before uh, you look into some kind of message. Personally, you know, Josh, that gets a little hard. I get a text message out of the blue that I need to go update something for my social security or whatever. Someone could fall for that scam because they can't just text an employee, right? But I think that's when I, we've always leaned on. Well, I'm just going to, if I have an account there, I'm going to go use a different device and I'm going to go to that account and make sure it's valid or, or what have you, right? So we just, the checks and balances, I think is the most powerful tool that we have to combat, like Tyler said, maybe 80% of it because there's now a, a, an increasing uh, spotlight being shined on zero click exploits, which is kind of interesting. Which, I mean, this just doesn't come down to patch. I mean, it does come down to patching, except when it doesn't, right? When this is a zero-day, zero-click exploit. It's a lot of zeros in there. But it's a zero-day, zero-click exploit. This could be kind of scary. Just using the application could get you popped. And I think a lot of us were <coughs> like, ah, yeah, that can't happen. And then we read the report from NS, you know, when someone wrote up the, I think it was Citizen Lab that wrote up the, uh, and no, Google Project Zero, uh, you know, published the report. <coughs> I was, we were all like, oh, okay, that's a thing high level of effort but that's a thing and now we have one for zoom 
which is where I was segueing into. Yep, and I, I think that's the next next iteration, right? All these SaaS platforms. We've been talking about this on the show for years now. SaaS and single sign-on are going to be the next big battleground where you know the breach is going to happen. You're not going to have anything inside of your environment that gets popped, but your Slack gets popped, and now all those conversations, sensitive docs shared, uh, interesting stats, you know, confidential things. All those things are getting shared. That SaaS application is the next battleground for. Know, just getting credentials, which could just be a no-click exploit uh, from your mobile device that you allow uh, BYOD. Just, just target Electron, you'll be fine. Target what now? Electron. Electron. Yeah. Oh, Electron's oh, good. Oh, God. Because, I mean, one password's moving to Electron now, right? Uh, did they just, one did they just get did bought? to Electron. They, they did, did it did. already. Yeah. Did they, they, get did. Bought? they took funding or got bought recently, too. Thought I saw something on that. Don't get me started on Electron. Did it, <laughs> did anyone read the full write up to the uh, so Google Project Zero? Um, was it Natalie Slinovich? How do you say her name? Silvan Silvanovich Silvanovich. Did I get that right? I apologize, Natalie. Sil uh, Silvanovich. Silvanovich. Thank you. Like I could, my brain just couldn't process that because I you suck a, at pronouncing things. That's you, why you have a brain. Yes. <laughs> Apparently, it has some issues <clears throat> when it comes to pronouncing people's names, <laughs> among other things. Uh, I didn't read this full write up. Uh, I just saw bits and pieces, RTP processing. So I'm like, yep, that's probably really bad. Dragos made a comment on that. Drago spent a bunch of time in the AV world and he's like, are these protocols and encoding and decoding of video messages is really messy process uh, prone, you know, ripe for the picking in terms of security vulnerabilities. So it didn't surprise me that that, that was at least uh, part of it. And I apologize. I didn't have time to digest the research article, but you should. They spent, they spent, uh, money even buying the the licensing to house the servers. I think it's an on-prem server that you have to use uh, where they were able to to get this to work so that the closed source software and the means which they had to do this is not you know something you're going to trivially go yeah. spend $1,500 on to, to get the licensing to, to do this yourself. But uh, any of the AV stuff, it's those closed loop and, and older systems that rely on uh, high, fidel high fidelity and, and very high frequency, uh, there's going to be some interesting things in there. I, I, I love the fact, I, I was just reading through this article, um, and uh, I love the fact that uh, uh, Silva Novich uh, noted that there's um, one of the key things that they could have to really help prevent the two their days. Yeah, two vulnerabilities, the one buffer overflow and one info leak. Yep, was... To compile your shit with ASLR, imagine. Oh, that. that's funny! Wow, <laughs> wow. That, that, you know that's. I mean, let's let's face it. Like, you know, ASLR is a really solid technology, but if you don't use it, right? it's like not like, putting your seatbelt on. Yeah, yeah. Like, Her, she was quoted as saying, "There is no good reason for it to be disabled in the vast majority of software." Mm. Uh, that's absolutely true. But yet today, if you were to jump into Ida Pro or whatever favorite debugger and start, you know, filtering through on a Windows system, uh, you know, DLLs that are actually properly compiled and secure, you got to find them still that are not mm -hmm. right. It, it's stunning. 
These vulnerabilities were fixed on November 24th in 2021. Yep. And since enabled ASLR. <laughs> oh, have they? Yeah. Oh, okay. Let's yep. go. Yep. They didn't say a date. Wise decision. <laughs> yeah. Like, uh, really? <sighs> Fun stuff. Indeed. Oh, let's talk about Russia. Let's talk about Ukraine. And Ukraine. <laughs> and we don't talk hey, about that. Let's talk about you and me. <laughs> Will the Ukraine exist for much longer? <clears throat> I, I don't, I'm not. A, what, uh, I mean, I've been. What do you mean, Russia arresting uh, Revel ransomware? That's yeah, was one. that like? Sure. Was that just like smoke and mirrors? Like yep. just throwing a bone? Like, hey, yep. We know you're concerned that we're going to attack Ukraine and all that stuff, but like, we'll give you Revel. Like, I don't know. Is that a big enough bone to throw? Uh, not well, really. They, a big they, bone to throw. They, they, arrest, they arrested the people in Russia. Right. The group is reported to have agents all over the globe. Well, they're affiliates, right? right. It's an affiliate program. Like, right, right. The gang itself is fairly small, honestly. And these dudes are making $10 million a year. And the house and the pictures that they're showing FSB guys or GRU or whoever, whichever unit took them down this time. It's pretty. It's uh, not a $10 million house. Not a $10 million. Uh, but, but, but by Russian standards. It was quite nice. Well, it was about hold on a second. Is, isn't it, yeah, like, isn't, I, like I said, this, isn't this just a government talent recruiting operation? I mean, <laughs> seriously. Is that, is, you think that's what they did with them? They nabbed yeah. them and they're, now they're working for the, the right We have GRU. ways of making you work for us. Yes. Well, now they just handed over the control panel and, and any access they had to deploy whatever they had before it gets shut down. <clears throat> Yeah. I, 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 or does it get used by the Russians? Like, oh, hey, thanks for all that infrastructure. You mean, you we'll mean like the, the ransomware that got deployed that didn't have a decryption key in the uh, decryption process? Yeah. In the phone? yeah. Funny how that works. <laughs> That's huh? hysterical. Yeah. I can just I mean, see. I, I can just see the Russian I, authorities going. You won't be needing that anymore. <laughs> I'll take that. I, I think. I think this is literally just an acquisition. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> really? Yeah. So, uh, I, and you're right, Paul. I think it, I think it's smoke and mirrors. It was the, mm -hmm. the uh, hey, we did the right thing. Never mind that man behind the Ukraine, right? Right. So, yeah, we're not bringing cyber into this at all. Look, we're arresting the cybers. Do you realize yeah, you're doing it, these? Are not the drones the you're looking? These are not the droids you're looking for. Hand wave at the same time, Larry. Yeah, we are. It's just yes. habit. Yeah, just checking. Yes. yes. No, that was the, that was the intent. <laughs> I, I, I may be by wrong the camera. Here, I just see like, isn't it? It's second nature at this point. Now, is that is the is that the wiper malware you were referring to, Tyler? <coughs> that's going through Ukraine right now. Is that yep. the, the wiper? The press calls it a wiper. Wiper ransomware with a ransom note that's actually malware that just wipes your computer because there's no decryption functions. So they're just oh, encrypting it. <laughs> they don't. Yeah. So, and they're they're wiping the MBR uh, as part of where they're encrypting the uh, encrypting the MBR, and it doesn't. You know that does not allow the system to boot after that. So you know there's that problem as well. Like the recovery process of this is not well thought out. Uh, it's almost like, uh, or we, is it? Have we seen this before? Yeah, yes. yeah this is. And this is the standard. Yeah, standard MO. Yep. I, I, sometimes I really hope for like really creative things and, and things that just maybe that's freaking awesome. Like you know zero click exploits that yep. take me three days to read. Like. I need these cool things. This other shit that we're seeing that's you know fifty years old and like old and dead. It's like 
it's getting old. But it's old. But Tyler, you say it's old and dead, but it still works. It still works. That's that's why it still works. It's just said the said the old person. <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> Sorry, couldn't resist. You know, you're you're all right. You're, it's, it's all true. good. It's all good. But I think, um, you know, on the whole Ukraine situation, I think, you know, that John Strand really had some great comments. And that was very much what we're starting to see out of recommendations from like CISA and a bunch mm-hmm. of other stuff um, and Microsoft and, and others was, you know, aside from the whole political mess, you know, to, you know, to paraphrase or to maybe add some words to John's mouth, um, you know, don't worry about the whole political thing with Ukraine. Um, you know, don't worry about the cybers so much, but, you know, take a look at what the TTPs are that they're using and expect to see them elsewhere. Yeah. So it's not going to just get used there. It's going to get used in a whole bunch of other places. And well, there's nothing like having a laboratory, right? I mean, let's yeah. face it. I mean, the pen testing industry, we love having laboratories too. Yeah. So. Yeah. What was it? What was that t-shirt I saw back in the day? And I think it was Mubix that was wearing it. Um, was, and it was like from the Metasploit project or something. And on the back, um, it had, hold on a second, let me test that malware in my lab. And it had a picture of a map of China. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, Nick- Nickerson was, was credited with some of the first references to that as well. Yeah. The China lab. That, that was a, that was our old uh, slogan for Dark Side Ops. Your prod is our dev. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Now, now, now the now the tables will be turned exactly the opposite. Yeah. yeah. That's evil. Uh, oh, so evil. I love it so much. That's so evil. Is it or, yeah. or, is it our evil? Is it our evil or evil? Wait, Revel, what? Revel, Revel, or Revel. Is it is it like Revel. weevil but with an R? Revel. I mean, at least the Re- Russians could oh, just ask them how they pronounce it. Yeah. Like, can we get a final verdict on this? How it's pronounced? Yeah, we could ask Linus, uh, Linus Torvalds. Yes. Yep. We made that famous recording. <sighs> yes. Well, I, I think it was a famous recording yep. of how to pronounce Hello, Linux. my name is Linus Torvalds, and yes. I pronounce Linux. Linux. And no one says it like that. Except <laughs> <laughs> for Linus. Linux. 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 Well, I mean, to be, to be correct, it's uh, Sodanokibi. Sodanokibi. Kiwi. What now? Whatever what? the Kiwi. Russian one is. No, it's a Linux. Yeah. <laughs> the, uh, the Safari data leakage one is very interesting as well. There's some very useful tracking that happens in, in Safari right now. Is that is that a, a result of a vulnerability or a feature? Or are we just mincing words at this point? Yeah, that's just well, a, it's a way in, in the the browser engine and the, and the way it collects uh, stuff and stores it in the database, if I remember right. But of course, the feature, apparently feature it allows, is you, it, it allows uh, if you're authenticated in a Google account, it allows them to basically fingerprint the Google account. And in some circumstances, depending on how the URL is formed in other tabs, if it's able to pull some of that out, it can get, you know, s- session keys or, hmm. Um, get other tracking information. Uh, there's a lot of information that's able to pull, and this is for Safari on iPad and I don't know if it was iPhone. It was one of the uh, Safari 15 running on iOS, iPad that's OS 15. Yeah, which is really bad, right? Like, because that's a default browser for a lot of people. It's definitely not the default browser for most security people. But uh, you know, on your iPhone or iPad, like people are using Safari unless they've went out of their way to install something different. So. 
the ability to track, maybe gain authentication or even just fingerprint what users tied to which device and what Gmail accounts tied to that user from previous work. That's very interesting and has a lot of ramifications. Yeah, it's interesting because this isn't the same origin policy. This is exploiting the browser to see what's running in it. Same origin applies to HTTP requests, not the internal workings of the browser. Yeah, yeah. I believe like if you if you visit a certain site that has certain tracking characteristics, it's able to utilize the index DB for that browser and the way that that browser leverages it to gain insights and and potentially query that information in a manner that's able to get you things that you're after. So that's interesting. Again, another good reason to secure your device and choose your applications carefully. What do you in, what, what, do, what, what do you do to lock down your browser on your phone? I find there's not as many security controls as I would like on the browser on my phone, and let alone the browser that like is embedded in other apps, which despite you turning it off, the app updates. And now when I click on a link in one app, it's still, I got to go back and change the setting. That's highly annoying. And the ads are highly annoying. And so unless you're blocking those at the network level, I haven't found good ways to, to yeah, lock it. And if you're, especially if you're doing this on iOS, right, this is a closed, this is a closed loop, you know, mm-hmm. thing. You, you can have some control over that in Android, but even that is getting to the point where it's getting much harder uh, and even leveraging some of the, the browsers such as Brave or, or Firefox modified browsers or, or even some of the Tor privacy browsers. Like there's not as many settings as you would hope and, to control on the mobile side of that. So you're you're really getting to uh, an interesting spot. And, and by the way, we are going to give a shout out to uh, OX Jelly. I'm assuming that's his username for, for the raid on Twitch. If you're not following Security Weekly on Twitch, you should go check it out because you know, we just got a bunch of cool people in there. So. Oh, thanks for OX Jelly. Nice. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I, I also like when I'm going through the apps on my phone trying to read like try and read a recipe today or even just like some articles and I'm like oh my god I can't even read the article because there's so many ads now my desktop browser I've got the ad blocker uh, which say what you will about that and sites that want you to disable it which is annoying but put that aside for a moment on the phone this is dangerous kind of thing so much so I'm thinking I want to do a pie hole uh, implementation at home and it work for blocking those things. The problem with that is on the other side, it blocks a lot of legitimate stuff. And now you get into this maintenance uh, usability kind of, kind of situation that we've all been. And even if you can, even if you can do that, that breaks a lot of sites that that require cookies or even third party uh, verification things to load. You try and load one of your banks with uh, some, some of the blocking put in place. Like you've got, a lot of problems that, that start to appear, you know, even the good, the good uh, adversaries are also using things like Cloudflare or ad networks. And so your ability to even block the stuff that is curated and vetted even starts to go down more because of the way that, you know, right. adversaries are to, to really focus on, this. especially if you're you know worried about the mobile side of this, this is getting more difficult. And I think at some point there will be, a breaking of uh, we'll call it you know web 2 and, and how Android and Apple or Google and Apple decide to render and allow things to access the sandbox even with inside of the browser I, I imagine some of this is going to 
uh, begin to be vetted. Uh, maybe that's you know Web 3.0 stuff. Maybe that is Web 2.0 and, and some different proxy technologies. But at some at some point, they've gotten the the platform down and the hardware down. I think they're going to start breaking things uh, from the browser outside. But then you have the problem you know, of I, how I, do you fund the web? I mean, you've got yeah. you've got a significant issue there. If advertising is what produces Wait, the you content. You mean there's a conflict of interest now with this platform and what their current revenue sources of business are? I would never accuse Apple and Google of conflicts of interest, mostly because they own my soul in various ways. Well, but, but I mean, um, Apple's done a good job of uh, restricting advertising and in, in locking down your privacy. I mean, not that it's perfect, but it's better than Google, certainly. Uh, you know, then you get in this race of like, all right, do I have to pay for this content out of my own pocket or do I deal with the ads and what's the balance, you know, between the two? Uh, I mean, it, from a security perspective, I think the ad thing is is dangerous. And I almost want to put the phones on a separate network that does that, that does that filtering um, to protect the device. Because I, I feel like the devices, uh, iPads, you know, any kind of device like that are not as great at blocking some of this malicious content as you can on a desktop. I feel like I've got better tools. I think you're right. Um, I, I really have the same feeling. And, you know, it's, there's another comment I wanted to make on it, and that is if you look at solutions like um, like Piehole and mm -hmm. homegrown stuff like I've got, we're depending for the most part on, on controlling the DNS requests. Well, now you have DNS over HTTPS. Mm -hmm. So, you know, unless you're actively blocking all the DNS over H HTTPS providers, which... I'm going to put in place shortly. Mm -hmm. um, you you um, you you have an issue there as well, right? Or and, and of course that's a that's one of these because th there is a, like with my own local resolver on my own network, I may well end up forwarding my uh, DNS requests over to Quad Nine, who are the only DNS over HTTPS provider that I think I can trust right now, mm -hmm. just because I want to encrypt it between me and the provider and yeah. them over across uh, the provider, so your ISP can't spy on your DNS. So request. my ISP can't play games with the DNS traffic. So mm -hmm. it, it's a sort of damned if you do, damned if you don't. Kind I mean, of if I'm your ISP and I know you, Joff, I know you're probably going to porn sites, and I really don't care which ones. <laughs> unless well, they, unless I they're mean, good, because then he wants to. Yes. There is a reason I renamed the iPad, <laughs> right? Um, well, like rename the host name, or no? I, I I just I just substitute the I for a P. It's <laughs> <So laughs> your PP pad. Oh, 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 God! Where's the bleach for my the, brain? Uh, it's the porn pad. <laughs> it's not the porn the pad, um, but it's but for your eyes. Putting putting that aside for a minute. Um, <laughs> It's getting more difficult because, to some extent, the browsers kind of took control of the entire protocol stack. And then you're locked into – you've got this sort of vertical lock-in with some browser vendors, you know, and Google is a prime example. I hate to pick on them. But so, hold on, on. Wait. I just want to get key on that point, Joff. The browser will not look at what DNS server – has been assigned to me or I've assigned in the operating system. The browser That's will do correct. its own – DNS use DNS to resolve names. Yeah, it'll have a default list of DNS over HTTPS and, yep. and go straight to that that provider and screw you if you've got a DNS provided by DHCP. They don't care anymore. Oh, good Wh lord! Which was frankly a huge 
argument that Paul Vixie made a couple of years back, and he was really mad about it for good reasons, but nobody was listening mm. because there's very few people that understand DNS, frankly. And is, is that is that an is that an option in most modern browsers now that I have to turn on, or is that it's on by default? The oh, fact that you're going to HTTPS uh, providers is usually on by default. You, it's an option to turn it off so that you can use traditional DNS. Interesting. So that's but sad, now what's right? the if the browsers are also messing with with things that I think they shouldn't be messing with. And I saw a recent announcement where, where Chrome <laughs> said it won't go to local resources. Yep. <clears throat> so, like, is it all RFC 1918, or is it reading my IP address and then deriving the, the subnet from that and going, you can't browse to things locally? Well, actually, it's, it's just your content. We have a, a full-time intern mm. convincing your computer to let you access your porn folder. I see. This, I mean, this is this is a big problem. That we've, we've <laughs> yeah. been tied it's to, a huge problem. We've been tied to registrars, DNS providers, and ISPs, mm -hmm. and, and browsers. Right, like those are the the four big main choke points where we couldn't decentralize now, or have a free and open internet, you know, if we wanted to. So outside of like, if we want to curate, be very specific about where and what we do, the internet is not really that easy to manipulate at, at our level now in order to do that. That's why I think there's such a big attachment to this web 3.0, this decentralized, like you own a domain and you're not paying a subscription. You don't have to go to a registrar. You don't have to do the DNS. Like there are reasons that Tor kind of took off on the dark net and the onion where you're decentralizing and, and publishing some of that. And I think web 3.0 is kind of the next iteration making that simple, but we still have a lot of problems to fix with web 2.0 and the integration and uh, intermediate time between these two technologies. So there's, there's some very interesting things coming up that could, you know, getting rid of passwords and, and having a wallet or NFT that's signed and, and using your uh, public key to verify your login that's all attached to a cold wallet storage or, you know, something off of blockchain. Like all these things sound really awesome and they fix a lot of problems, but we are, you know, probably five years off from mainstream adoption, maybe more. So we've got this kind of intermediate time that we've got problems that are going to keep getting worse with these four choke points that get controlled uh, by some government ISP or, or conglomerate. Right. And a lot of those choke points were frankly driven by um, the, the, the maturity of the age of surveillance capitalism. They really were. Right. Uh, and, and, and now I think we're realizing the, the actual impact of that. It's the light slowly coming on. I mean, light was on for me for a long time, but the light slowly coming on for other people. It's like, oh, shit, we just turned this over to browser vendor X. Well, that's a bad thing, right? There was a reason the open internet was an open internet, right? An open, even playing field. We need to get it back. We need to, you know, go go and back in that direction. Been supple supplementing that privacy, security, and control with uh, subsidized devices that make your life convenient and, you know, easy and comfortable to watch Netflix from your TV from an Amazon subsidized piece of hardware that sells your ad tracking to the Brazilian companies that then curate your shopping list for next week, like. This is we've kind of all signed up for this. We're just at a state where it's really hard to gain some of that control back uh, without losing a good portion of the the comfortable uh, ease of use and internet that we are now used to or rely on. Oh, man, I'm so depressed now. We need to do a segue. <laughs> segue. Oh, can we can segue. actually can we segue to the deepfakes article? 
Yeah. I didn't actually, one, I'll be honest, I didn't read this one. Um, the headline, okay. I you could take the headline and we could basically debate the headline and whether or not you agree that, well, there's a couple of things we'd have to agree on if we, if we really are grokking this headline. So preparing for the next cybersecurity epidemic, deep fakes. So that means we got to agree that deep fakes is or could be an epidemic. We have to also agree that it would be a cybersecurity epidemic. And we also have to agree there's something that we should prepare for. I don't know Look, I, if all no, those things are no true. No, no, and yes. No, no, and yeah. Was that the <laughs> former, okay, of, former or the latter? Be, it's going to be a problem, but I mean, I don't want to, you know, milk the story too badly, too hard. I mean, it, um, it, it says the potential to be an utter mess, and, all right? An absolute utter mess. Well done, sir. And, uh, you know, it's not total bull. Okay? I thought that, well, I thought this when a cow jumps over a barbed wire fence. What do you call that? Oh my gosh. An utter oh. mess, Josh. An utter mess. Yeah. Oh, oh, damn. This is already, this is just Jeez. exponentially building on what we already have a problem with, right? Like disinformation, misinformation, like the general public has no idea what's real and what's fake. That's nothing new. That's how political games are played. That's how elections are being won. So, you know, we're yeah. far behind the curve if we're going to say this is like the next big cyber I mean, thing. Try, to try and get your, your family well, and friends to realize that the all the political memes out there, all right, probably 90 plus, or political ones, 100%, but all the memes out there that aren't just meant to be funny are disinformation. Mm -hmm. Like, it's right. just absolutely but, but not wait, true. Yeah, chew on that cut for a while. But there's a difference between disinformation and uh, like a deep fake, which is an absolute uh, uh, fake of an actual event. So let's talk about that for just a second. And uh, let's ignore disinformation well, just for a second. I mean, there's, I mean it's it is conveying a, a message, it's something that's not true. It is a method sense. of disinformation, but yeah, this method yeah, of agreed. disinformation is what we're talking about. Agreed. Agreed. So this method of disinformation has two forms that I know of, and that's audio and video. And uh, on the audio part, it, you can still find a YouTube for Adobe Voco, V-O-C-O. And this is actually a, a tool that they were going to release. And it was almost 10 years ago now, I think. Don't quote me on that. If somebody can do a quick Google, that'd be great. And uh, the second one is the video, which there's another YouTube for face to face, you know, numeral two. And that's over 10 years old. And it was a, an, the ability to put a face on a live video stream that that you could uh, make it do what you wanted. You combine the two. By the way, Adobe never released Voco because mm. they realized how terrifying it could be as they were doing the demonstration. Um, and you can almost see the people like they used a uh, uh, um, key and peel. They used a uh, um, uh, uh, key, I think it was, to do uh, the demonstration. You could see his face go, "Holy crap!" It was it was frightening. And um, but what we have is we have a situation where you can't trust. Like ten years ago, I had a case where I had a, a, a high net worth client. And they're like their banker got asked, you know, email from uh, with with forwarders and and responders, autoresponders and stuff. And the banker got asked, hey, here's an email. Can you send wire transfer a few hundred thousand dollars to this account, which is an account the banker had never seen before? And he emailed back, are you sure? And they forwarded the message to themselves. You know, if if you know, like if it comes from this person, forward it to here and sent back through that email account. Absolutely, it's just a it's a purchase. It's no big deal. And he called. And that was the difference. Mm -hmm. He picked up a phone and called. He's like, I just wanted to double check. And they're like, no, that's not us. Don't do it. He's like, cool, just checking. And they're like, all right, they asked me, what technological means should we do to stop that? I'm like, just call them every time for every wire transfer. It takes 10 seconds. It's not a big deal. 
just coordinate when he goes on vacation because you know you don't want to run out of household money and now you can't do that anymore yeah it's interesting yeah i mean hmm. deep fakes are going to be an issue both audio and video but those are you know we know the cgi is freaking fantastic we know ai is now really good with deep fakes so it's just that what are they trying to accomplish like politically like this is disinformation, misinformation, fighting. It has gotten to the point where you shouldn't trust videos. You shouldn't trust what you see. Uh, you know, there's always going to be a lens and an angle from whatever news media outlet you're getting it from. You know, whatever Ignore national off, security, Tyler. <laughs> Ignore national security. Just for a second. Just talk about small to medium business. If you've got, yeah. you know, a 50 person company doing 10 million a year, 20 million a year. I'm just making this up. Bear with me. And they get a call from the boss and, and it's the CFO and you know, this is the CEO. I want you to transfer every dollar in the, in the, in the daily money account or whatever to this address right now. We have an emergency, blah, 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 blah. And the CFO, okay. And goes ahead and does it. Um, you know, a Zoom I mean, AI filter with the boss on Zoom and has an AI deep fake filter that you can tell it whatever to say. Like, these are going to be yeah. problems, which is which is why, like, the only – again, like, I'm, I was never a real huge proponent. Like, I've done crypto for a long time, and I was – you know, I, I backed a lot of the ideas. I didn't think they would take off quite to the point that they're at. But this is where the validation process, the key signing and the blockchain and, and really having a way to validate things now with all these up-and-coming coins, companies – uh, ways in which to validate and verify contracts and, and actions that is signed like crypto and blockchain. If you're not on board, like there's no way around it because we're going to be living in a digital environment that you can't trust anything unless it is cryptologically sound. Yeah. I mean, this was, well, this was solved, but I, I was about to make that comment that, you know, in order to, you know, let's say you're watching a video. Well, there needs to be some out of band method, whether that's blockchain, whatever it might be. I was going to say, you know, there, but uh, sounds like an NFT. Yeah. <laughs> insert your crack, crack term of the moment. <clears throat> but there needs to be an out of band way to, to verify, like an HMAC, right? That that is legitimate content. No, it's, it was that, developed in 2019. It was the Voight Comp test. It was in, it's how they tested for replicants. <laughs> oh, Blade oh. Runner? Anyone? Yeah, Blade Runner. <laughs> Blade Runner. <laughs> I thought it was serious. He was like, what are you talking about? Like, what? <laughs> I was waiting for the, for the other shooter drop. I'm like, what the fuck is Paul <laughs> Blade Runner, the movie, took place in 2019. And that was they, they needed a test to see if it was a replicant or not. I mean, essentially, that's the same thing we need for right. deepfakes is some, is some kind of uh, test. But it can't be in band. It has to be out of that communication. Like right. we have to have this out of band mechanism because if we, you know, and and how do you convince general public to actually utilize that? Yes. Right. Yes. I'm scrolling through TikTok, man. Like, you know, <laughs> I guess the, well, the, provi the providers need to do that. But that's this is the thing we have now with large social media networks. It's not in their financial best interest to do any of these kind of tests. Look at Twitter for bots. Uh, yeah, like we know, like there's some bots, but yeah, like how some. many? Well, like if we told you how many, then we wouldn't have as many subscribers and we couldn't ask for more money from, yep. you know, our, our VC and investors. So we, you got to just deal with it. We, right? have, a, we have a couple. We well, took we, we took about 300 Russian bots offline. Yeah. That's wait, what they wait, do. wait, wait, wait. Okay. So, so Michael Tiffany is a friend of mine and he had the company, uh, Bot or Not, which now is called Human, I think. Mm -hmm. And, um, it was uh, white ops. Now it's called human security, I think. And they, they do a lot of bot 
you know, click jacking mostly for commercial purposes, like how many bots clicked my ad and I shouldn't pay them type of thing. Mm -hmm. Uh, and the amount of bots that they register, like they did a report not long ago. I would have to pull it up, but holy God, 300 bots is not a drop in the bucket. It's not even a, it's an atom in the bucket. Right. I think it's Facebook, yeah, Facebook, think, no, YouTube, YouTube publishes some of those statistics and I think they do it. Do they do it monthly? I linked to it several weeks ago. I believe it comes out monthly and they kind of give you uh, a state of the YouTube police kind of report. Like this is how many, you know, Chinese disinformation YouTube channels we took down. It's, I mean, it's in the thousands uh, on that particular one, I think from what I remember. Um, so it is largely up to the providers, but they have to be compelled, mm -hmm. maybe even force regulated into doing this type of, I mean, now we get into whole debate on, who should be deplatformed? Yep. Who shouldn't? Um, based on what premise? And then it's a private company. You know, it's not a government running. It's not China. Not all the companies are Chinese companies, right? Like Chinese government companies. It's a totally different dynamic. So, and I think this is where a platform's gonna emerge that does this. I mean, Twitter kind of does some of this with the verified, and mm -hmm. I think eventually we'll get to that point where yeah, your your NFT or wallet back, you know, blockchain backed identity becomes part of uh, your sign-in and, and authorization to post things as you online and which people actually look for and care about and platforms will be the first adoption because that's where mainstream it's got to be easy for the regular Joe Schmo to do this and so they'll have a way to do it and integrate it all and I think but that, that's only but that's part of the problem though you can validate what's coming that my channel is my channel and what I post on my channel is my content the problem with deep fakes is someone could create something on another channel and that's what gets circulated. That's what gets used. It could be. So you're only going to be able to trust the things that are at, at the source or at the provider that you trust, which right. again, if we, if we look at news outlets and, and what people trust and read and, and take as gospel, like that's not going to be much better anyway. Like it, but isn't it amazing to say like nothing's a hundred percent true is, I mean, we've really, there's in this, always an angle or a lens yeah, in this interconnected world. I mean, we've been following the security news as an example, right? I, and I have to say, the cybersecurity news is, is a lot better uh, with this and the sources that, that we follow. And I'll sh I've shared them with everyone in the past, right? Um, but when you step outside of that into like mainstream, or even just trying to figure out like what's happening with COVID, what's happening with, uh, you know, various topics, is Russia and in Ukraine, man, you got to pull, I mean, those of many of us do it right we pull from different sources and we talk to people before you form an opinion but uh, you can go look on facebook or some other social media platforms and people are like oh that picture looks like it makes sense because it has words on it in a picture so therefore that must be what's true they don't even read the article they literally no. read the headline read the, the headline form, opinion and, they'll go yeah. to the grave with. <laughs> yes so yes. so i i would i would estimate and this is gonna sound very judgy but a lot of us, like you just said, Paul, will do that, right? We'll go to yeah. different sources. We'll try to validate, verify, and really form an opinion. I bet you that's less than 1% of the population that actually does that. Yeah. It's a, and even if you talk to an expert, right, they just may have a different opinion. I mean, I've heard some doctors say things about COVID, and I'm like, I understand you're a doctor and all, but like – it's almost like the. Then you research what they've looked at, how they've done it, what what kind of school they went to, what the yeah. opinions of those professors were, and, and the way that they Agreed. treat medicine. Like, there's a whole. You pull on the thread, and the thread just ends up being a, a freaking polyester suit. It's bad. 
Yeah. And, but I think you know, also, you know, the validation of studies, right? You can't, you can't take one study and we do this in cybersecurity too. I can't take one survey that draws a conclusion and go, that's the truth. A hundred percent of the time in that situation, that's the truth. I'm like, no, I, you got to look at multiple yeah, studies. Look at the raw and, data. Yeah. Like, not and, just the raw data of the study. You have to look at the raw data of who was studied, where right. that data came from, what was the precursors for, if they even disclose that, which you could say they should. What were the biases? You, what are the biases, the biases or influences? We see that all the time that there's a commercial cybersecurity company sanctions a study that fully supports the product <clears> that they sell. And I mean, sometimes they're not wrong. Like I'll, I'll give that to them. They're all, I'm not saying every study or survey that's out there is complete garbage, right? But I mean, the, it does a lot. And some of them aren't wrong, right? The conclusions they're drawn, you're like, all right, if I, if I go shop that around, look at other studies, talk to my friends, study the data, like, okay, in general, that's true. But usually, like you said, Tyler, there's some angle to all of this, which is annoying. But you know what, you know, what? just to make a really, really fun comment, because it's getting kind of deep in here. You the best part about an NFT is it's the word fungible. Fungible. Because that is such it a, is a cool really, word. <laughs> it is a really cool word. Fungible. Yes. Say it again, fungible. Joff. Say it again. Say oh, it my, all my tokens are getting funged. <laughs> it oh, doesn't sound like a good oh. thing or an erotic thing, Josh. I don't know where you like it kind of <laughs> sounds more to me like fungus which but is you've got to lean into the microphone and say i just think of a big mushroom like a like a, yeah. a super mario world mushroom every time i think but just the it. tip just the mushroom tip the head just the, the head of the mushroom mycelium fungibility <sighs> is that what oh, the t in nft stands for tip, tip. non-fungible token <laughs> non-fungible non <laughs> non-fungible <laughs> Um, oh, right, 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 I want to delve back into a little bit into vulnerability management. Um, <laughs> Oracle released its first round of security updates for 2022, uh, which came out in, in you know this month. I thought you were going to say 2021 for a minute there, and I would have been appropriate. Right. The, the <laughs> first one is 497 patches. <laughs> Jesus Christ. I mean, it's Oracle. Do you expect any less? They do a lot of software. Like, I'll, that, I mean, talk about looking at angles and all that stuff. That run on Oracle. Like, that is scary numbers for things that run critical things. It's true because Microsoft also has a lot of lines of code. And I don't oh, think we've damn. hit 497 in uh, a Microsoft Patch Tuesday. Nope. Ever. Did you, did you see the piece about MySQL? I did not. Oh, 78 patches for MySQL, including fixes for three unauthenticated, remotely exploitable issues. Oh, those, uh, how could that be? No, that would be a problem. Like, how do they do that? Their PR team is amazing. <laughs> but my thing is, like, the next one will come out on April 19th. I'm like, what? Can we... Am I out what of line can, asking... will have 603 patches. Right, but, like, am I out of line in asking for a way that we can use a i don't want to say devops but devops style approach where we can break up this work into really smaller man more manageable chunks and i get it like applying a patch it's not it's not a trivial thing as we all know um but when i do that i don't want to start looking at 497 i want to go okay what what patch are we applying today maybe even this week dev, dev branches like uh, patches for early release like yeah any of the above <laughs> 
Oh my God! Yeah, no, yeah, no, no. Or at look least at the, they look even at patch the... families, right? Like, like what subfamily of patches am I applying here? <laughs> whoa, 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 whoa! No, no, no. Look at the article. They released fixes for um, every single set of fixes for like every functional group, like retail mm-hmm. applications, Fusion middleware, whatever. Has got thirty-three security updates. Twenty-two of them are remotely exploitable, unauthenticated. Every single group is uh, uh, Java SE, 18. Of those 18, 18 of them are remotely unauthenticated, remotely exploitable, unauthenticated. PeopleSoft, uh, supply chain, of the 10 patches, eight of them are unauthenticated, remotely exploitable. Like, they're basically, like, they didn't even go below critical. Like, below critical is we don't even care anymore, you know? It's yeah. like, oh my God. This is not inspiring is, confidence. No, but it, you know no. what? It, it, it's also kind of laughable because CISA goes, well, we encourage administrators to review Oracle's latest CPU and apply the fixes immediately. Um, really? That's what you're going to tell? Say they're oh. like, you fix your shit or we will. Like, <laughs> but like, have you ever talked to anyone that runs Oracle products mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. what they do? Yeah, four, like, four, 497, you know, 400 Oak Street. It's where I get my underwear at Walmart. <laughs> Dad let me drive on the driveway on Sundays. 497. <laughs> That was awesome. <laughs> <sighs> oh my gosh. <sighs> <laughs> it's time for Wapner. Uh, I think Larry just Larry broke. Rain Man. I, should, fresh. I, ju- I, I, I broke like 497. <laughs> okay, hey, Larry, we're going to need you to, pat, to test 497 patches. It's considering that most of them are critical CVSS10s. We need to be testing these uh, by, say, Monday. Is that okay? Like, oh, I love that. Yes, so, it's, 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 it's time for Wapner. You got to look at the very bottom <laughs> in related articles. <laughs> Securityweek.com posts Oracle's October 2021 CPU <laughs> includes guess how many? It's time, it's t- it's t- it's time guess for how many security patches were the last release that likely people are still working on? 280? 419. And also related, July 2021, the one before that? 342 and the one before that 390 how does microsoft get so much shit <laughs> this is bad. that is Damn. more than a thousand security patches in less than in, a year in a 12-month period what kind of testing well, that's, that's less that we they only go back defense, to april right in their defense wait a second in their defense uh, microsoft rolls up a lot of patches into uh um you know the uh, service packs okay. couldn't think of the word so it could be that there are a thousand patches in Microsoft, but they're done in Service Pack one and two instead of patch four hundred ninety seven and three hundred seventy five. And o- Oracle, but Oracle has a Oracle has a tough time doing it that way, Josh, because of all the interdependencies in the software that's that's being used here. Oh, I, I agree, but I'm just saying Microsoft is able to do that, so maybe they have a thousand, but you know, I don't know. I mean, does anybody know how many patches like uh, server and, and Word and every, everything else got over the past year? Like individual yeah, patches? Like, yeah, we've we've went through almost all of them. It's not quite that many. Okay. Maybe maybe in the hundreds, but... 497. I don't know. The testing environment for this, like, I'm just thinking of the, the Oracle, Apache, PeopleSoft, <clears throat> Java environment of all the things that this has to go through just... Just to know if this is safe is, yeah. That's why they have service agreements. I got obviously crazy drunk drivers. <laughs> Tell me what movies that seventy five toothpicks. Seventy five toothpicks. Four hundred and ninety seven is Qantas, the number. Qantas. 
<laughs> the only airline that hasn't had an accident, yeah. right? The, the number is anyway. 497 because there's three left in the box. I think we need a segue. We do. <sighs> oh. I wish I had some I'm, warning just, before. The, I, wasn't, I wasn't prepping a segue. For, for oh, some yeah. I, know, I know the one we need to segue to because it'll calm us down. Serving the pot brownies. And no, I, before we get to that one, and, I want to talk about squirrel. one that might rile us up a little bit, but the 5G rollout. Yes. So, yeah, that's fun. I'm watching the mainstream news, right? <laughs> and there's your problem right there. I know. <laughs> my wife, for whatever reason, lately, she's like, I want to I want to watch the news, right? I'm like, okay. Uh, and But so they're talking about the 5G rollout, and I'm watching going, like, there's a test to see if the bandwidth being used in 5G and the altimeters on commercial aircraft are in conflict with each other like that someone needs to spin then i started thinking i'm like someone needs to spin up a lab and then they need to go figure out what type of aircrafts are in use in the united states and map that to all the different model and style altimeters that are on every single airplane and they need to get one of each model inside of a lab then they need to have the 5g and the alternative in the lab and then they need to conduct some kind of test to say if it interferes and determine interference which means they need to have a control group i need to test the altitude from an altimeter right without interference then the interference and probably cycle through that a few times you mean like fcc testing that happens at like i don't national lab and the 5g labs where they test all the things against 5g and mm. yeah exactly so, but then my How brain went to like who pays for that I'm testing serious. like was it a thing where like the uh, cellular companies, AT&T and Verizon, were like, you know, I'm not paying for that. And the airlines are like, well, shit, I certainly can't pay for that. <laughs> and the government's going, well, we're not going to fund it or pay for it it's, either because we don't know what you guys are talking or, about. Or is it the, the, the manufacturers of the altimeter or folks like Boeing and, and those types of things? Right. Before, like, yeah, that's a great point, Larry. That's another party. And, you could and are these not summit. hardened against radio interference and there's fly-by-wire and backup systems and the fact that radio 5G goes above a cell phone, like the towers are always hitting them anyway, so... I'm just not following the, the what, line. Do we, like what, under what conditions do you, in what variables do you have in practice where the 5G tower has to be near the airplane? And now you're talking about temperature, weather, moisture, all those like, I mean, a million different interference, like reflection, refraction, and like try and figure out just exactly how it would affect the altimeter in practice. One way to say how, you know, one thing is to say how it affects it in the lab in controlled conditions, but how is it going to affect it in the field? Because now there's a whole different set of yeah. variables. And, and arguably the lab is going to be, quote, the perfect conditions. So yeah. I would argue that the effects would be more severe in the lab. Correct. And less but severe in, yeah, in the real world, but if, but if you can you can introduce something that's going to be pretty bad to the altimeter, which they kind of need to use during an instrument only landing, um, you know, during potentially during severe weather when they don't have uh, wait, visual. Wait, I've, right. got, I've got first <clears throat> principle questions, Larry. Yeah, Larry, you you should know this. Yeah. When AT and T and Verizon, not T Mobile or Sprint, right? Because it's not their problem. When they came to the FCC and said, hey, we want to buy that spectrum. We're planning to put 5G on there. How could they F this up so bad? Well, so the, the you, article, you, so the you, BBC you, article, you, great <laughs> question, Jeff. The BBC article, I don't know if you guys clicked on it. It was my story number 18. 
because uh, this was my question too, Joff, right? Because a lot of us, have, we've, we've done the Wi-Fi thing and Bluetooth, yep. like we're... we're la- Larry, before, like, before you get to the article, I'm going to answer that question with a very snarky comment. Um, it what maybe probably wasn't AT&T and Verizon that fucked it up. You mentioned one key element there, which was the FCC. And I'm just going to leave it at that. If you want to ask how can they fuck this up, that the the fuck up communications commission. I mean, uh, the federal communications commission. A family guy video on the F. Anyway, you know what really grinds my gears? 5G networks, according to this BBC.com article, 3.7 gigahertz to 3.98 gigahertz. There is then what they call a separation guard band from 3.98 to 4.2 altimeters according to the article, operate at a range of 4.2 gigahertz to 4.4 gigahertz. So if that's if that's true, is that enough separation to avoid interference is the magic question. I'd argue, well, yeah. Under and if varying it is, conditions. why is this a story? Right. That was my, <laughs> yes. Even, even better, Joff. Why is it's this 5G, a story? It's got a buzzword. Yeah, but even, Joff, even more why this is a story. And Paul, this was something that you and I were talking about mm. over dinner before the show was 5G has been already deployed in 40 countries. Yeah. For years. The, the same technology in 40 countries, four mm-hmm. years, and it doesn't screw up the altimeters in those same aircraft that are flying into those countries. Do you know why? Whoa, 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 whoa. When you're on the plane with bands. vaccinated people. Well, do you, do you know why it doesn't screw up the altimeters in those countries? They put an entire RF cage around the airport. Oh, no, 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 but you're, 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 you're not wrong. <laughs> you're not wrong. Those countries says, don't put that shit near our airport. Right. And guess what? Oh, it doesn't affect the altimeters in the aircraft. But what if I want to use 5G on in the airport? We'll put a tower in the damn airport and turn the power down. Oh, turn that's the power funny. down. Yeah. You'd think they'd have some RF engineers that You'd actually think. Yeah. Mm, mm. It, it, it's scary that a radio <laughs> frequency, though, yeah. is able to do this kind of interference in a way that they're worried about safety. Like, that sounds like a design problem at the altimeter level. That sounds like, like a, a real yep. problem if there were a threat actor or attacker that wanted to mess up an airplane. Seriously, sounds like why they don't could I do so? A, and really, all they need is a 5G antenna and, and radio? Like, well, there's yeah, a whole lot better, of things you can do. Or better, just get a directional antenna and mm-hmm. stop broadcasting on the exact frequency. Yeah, right. for, for the record, don't do any of these things unless you like yeah, federal right, prison. Right. We're not right? anything. That be, would be a violation of FCC regulations. Roberts, yep. Because you know, I've made the joke a number of times that all the thing with you know signal interference and all this type of stuff is that uh, here in the U.S. the FCC is a complaint-driven organization and they don't monitor for everything all the time, except if you're near a goddamn airport. <laughs> or, yeah. I mean, there would be a complaint filed if a plane crashed or I ran mean, into trouble and was proven the, to be from interference. Yeah. The, U- but, the U.K.'s FAA, like the CAA, said that there's been no confirmed instances uh, where 5G would interfere with an aircraft. That's because so they, again, like, according to that article from the BBC, they operate at different frequencies. Yep. I mean, the, bi- the big thing is, is that they don't want 5G around because, I mean, that's how all of those chips in the COVID vaccines are going to communicate. <laughs> <laughs> so don't like, that's like I just, said, that's just fake the planes news, with vaccinated Larry. people. <laughs> And you're screwed. You're screwed. I mean, yep. You fill the plane with vaccinated people. Can you imagine? Nium, 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 I mean, that, I mean, I mean, the the problem, Josh, that we've got is is that if you've got the five G chips in the vaccine, where do you put the battery? 
Oh, that's you are oh. the battery. That's easy. You are yeah. the battery. Yeah, that, no, that's more that's more the like that. watching enough <laughs> the series later. Yeah. Like they got that part figured out. They do. That's Good. Why. Haven't you seen the oh, Matrix? Yeah, we are batteries essentially. That's right. Yeah. Top of top. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm still. I'm still just this five G stuff. Like this is besides the fact that they would only mess with the digital altimeters. They're still backup and fly by wire stuff. Like there's still manual things in this airplane. So what there's also windows look we're real close well, to the fucking ground <laughs> what the, pro- well, the, the problem the, is when you can't see out yeah, the window that, and that was and thought, that's their yeah. that's their big one is that, that you can't use the altimeter the digital altimeter when you you need to use that during severe weather conditions uh, and well yeah during there's IFR a window flight. but yeah yeah and that i think that's the big one and they're like they're saying they said today that they've already canceled flights because of areas with severe weather because they can't use the altimeter because 5G is on? Bullshit. What? Bullshit. That's what? Bullshit. That's I yeah, I'm I'm calling BS on that. I, I think there's there's some entire different motivation behind this entire story. Uh we just don't 100%. know. What it is. There's a, there's entire government sectors. I can I can show you the building that researches <laughs> very thoroughly and I'm pretty sure that this stuff is very well known. There's some much you mean, you mean well known and it's a bunch of bullshit. Yes. Yeah. We need to find Wait. someone. We need to find someone that an airline pilot, Wait, maybe, should, or in. Uh, we should get the guys that test the 5G that help certify it for the government. Like, I bet we could find them. Yep. I bet we, we could can call him. Chris Roberts. Too. And I know. Oh, Chris. Roberts. See if he can fly the plane sideways while we're at it. Using 5G. Using 5G. From your vaccine. And, Doesn't even need to bring anything with him. Just needs to be vaccinated. That's right. You got a plane loader. <laughs> man, man, man's right such a badass. He just needs to show up. That's it. Vax and boosted, baby. Now turn those engines on. <laughs> what? You're not That's a, a pure blood? <laughs> That's a t-shirt. Wow. <laughs> Picture of it. Oh, can we move on, please? Oh, oh God. Now, are we talking about pop brownies now? Yeah, can, and then, uh, then, you know, and then, and then we got another one. All right. We're going to. Let's do pot brownies first. It shouldn't take that long. So my title for this. Dude, if you have enough of them, it's going to take forever. The title for me is my mom stole my brownies. So this 46 year old, I'm just setting the stage here. 46 year old man who still lives at home with his mom in South Dakota went on a trip to Colorado, where as we know, marijuana has been legalized for quite some time Uh um, and decided to bring something back for himself. I don't know if he if he drove or uh, he Either brought way. back butter. Either way, it, it, well, I think it'd be kind of hard to get TSA to you know put a cooler down with a whole pound of butter in it because that's he bought a <laughs> pound of THC butter and brought it back to South Dakota. He then takes half a pound of butter and makes brownies. Now I'm not sure how many brownies that he made with half a pound of butter, and I'm not that's, sure what the ratio should for, be. For the, for the record, that's two sticks of butter. <laughs> Yeah, that sounds not a lot. It's not a lot. But when you're making pop brownies, I'm not sure um, what the I'm, ratio I'm, works agreed. out. With the, how they, many milligrams are this way. Yeah. These are going to be some really good brownies. <laughs> that's <laughs> from what you I've just, heard. That's a lot of butter for pop brownies. I mean, unless you're making, it depends on how many you're making, right? right so I don't right. know if we have and all you, the, and, the. And then you only need to eat a little brownie. 
that you but that's you but know, you just but you made a whole shitload of brownies so right. like so he makes the brownies <laughs> and he puts them in a tupperware container and he leaves them on the counter and he goes to bed and his mom wakes up the next morning because apparently he's still sleeping because he probably <laughs> ate about brownie before bed <laughs> or, or two his, or two his or mom goes oh and he cool with his mom he's playing world of warcraft right, right all yeah night. all night yeah. <laughs> and so he's sleeping in the morning and she wakes up and goes oh cool brownies I'll take these to where did she take them? Was there an official? It was a senior center. A senior a center. Like, was oh, a nursing brilliant. home or senior? <laughs> I don't know if it was a nursing home or just like a a, a a kind of social senior center kind of thing. So more elderly uh, people uh, are just having at it on these pout brownies. She's just what the doctor ordered, right? <laughs> Hey, look, seniors these days were around in Woodstock and such. They get a pot brownie. They're going to be like, dude, I'm good. And so they consumed. I'm trying to find how much like they they consumed. So around 8 p.m. on January 1st, the first of several medical calls were received by Bonn Home County Sheriff's Office Emergency Dispatch reporting possible poisoning. (laughs) Every one of the patients was at the Tabor Community Center earlier for a card game so like i said it was like a social kind of community and it must have been really social that day let me tell you <laughs> Dude, especially about an hour into it Dude, they didn't put molly in the brownies they put pot in the right. brownies so maybe it wasn't social maybe we're just sitting there staring at each other like dude i can't reach my cards like, <laughs> yeah, exactly. but i can i can walk all of a sudden and check out these colors long- oh shit oh so it does. I mean, it's. I want to hear more from the like what happened to the people because it says they they tracked down the people who had eaten the brownies. Uh, <laughs> they, I, they weren't going very far, I, dude. I want to hear their <laughs> stories. <laughs> you know, hopefully everyone was okay. I mean, all kidding aside, yeah. Uh, consuming large amounts of THC can be dangerous, especially if you're elderly. Uh, from all sorts of things, I mean, increased heart rate and things like that. So I don't know that anyone fell truly ill. I mean, people probably thought they were dying because that's in Colorado. You, you can re- read all the reports from overdosing on THC. Uh, so he was released on $3,000 bond uh, and has been charged. The biggest one that surprises me about this article is that you read People magazine. I So going back to our earlier story, I read news ag- aggregators that link to, uh, <laughs> yes. and um, it's no secret, yep. but I mean, I use Flipboard uh, to aggregate my news. So rather than subscribing to like people magazine yep i just i use news aggregator that has interesting stories that yeah and you subscribe to different topics and and whatnot and i plugged in marijuana because of stories like this (laughs) that are absolutely (laughs) hilarious (laughs) uh see and and see my news aggregator story got my story yes which was infinitely greater than 497 uh which was uh, DNA testing uh, proved that a uh, milkman in California between 1950 and 1960 <laughs> fathered over 800 children. How is that like possible? Like the math works out, right? Like 365 days in a year. Like, I mean, this dude it, was busy. I mean, it was over a 20 year period. Okay. That's a, still a lot of getting busy. That, that's a lot of DNA samples that they have uh, collected, and now you see it's the called twenty. Th- it's called twenty three and me. Twenty three and me. Yep, and ancestry.com yep. and yep. the The line at the end of the article fucking kills me. I 
to think at 97 to hear such news what a blessing i feel so fulfilled that i can't can't wait to meet all my children because all these years i thought i was sterile my wife and i never had any children what okay that's just awesome <laughs> yeah he was young he delivered the milk when you actually had to you didn't you didn't go to the grocery store you had milk delivery service and oh he, he was delivering more than milk larry <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he was eight hundred plus times, but like, yeah, he, he was. Well, hold on, no, those are just the times where women got pregnant. Yep, he was delivering a lot more than eight hundred times. Could be, <laughs> could be. But you think wow. about the the mean variable there for you know proper time of the month, different women, different times. Yeah, like, that's he probably was, a, a three three to four x mean variable factor. Well, like and, was, and, not, and, was, and not to he mention, was he was delivering more than the milk, like on a consistent basis to multiple houses. Yep. For a good stretch. Pun intended. Wow. Oh, oh God. That's, uh, yeah, uh, you know, man. I mean, like who else gets a sex story like that and then tries to do the statistics on it? We are such friggin' geeks. Oh this my God. Very true. Like I'm le like legit trying to do the math of like. Tyler's, Tyler's quiet. He's still doing the math. He's still doing the math. Like, can you create a spreadsheet for this, Tyler? Like, how many women, how many houses, how many... Did the average output of uh, a viable sperm per... Per... Yeah. But, well, but you got to take into account that one woman could have bared bore more born. than one child for this person yeah, right? has a nine month variation of each of these being separated by nine right? months because you can't get pregnant twice pregnant right? those nine right. months yes on top yes. of you know, cycles and there's a lot of math here there, there is. is i'm looking forward to your research paper on this tyler <laughs> i really am <laughs> We we looked we look forward to uh living vicariously through you uh for your empirical results now move to southern california <laughs> or are you going to test? Uh, I don't think it would have the same effect if you tested it in Idaho. No, no, it would not. Because <laughs> you not it, it'd be Utaho, not Idaho. Wait, <sighs> never mind. Craziness. Yeah. As he as he went about his day job, Randy developed Randy like really <laughs> Randy. <laughs> developed a cordial relationship with his customers. No, oh. <laughs> it was a cordial relationship. All uh, right. Most of the time, his interaction with with housewives, <laughs> like this, has like a porn movie written all over it. He he ha had never he did was absolved of paying any kind of child support. Yeah. Well, I mean, at ninety seven, that's crazy. Yeah, crazy story, Larry. Crazy. Oh, oh, wait a minute. Wait a minute. We can tie this back to him. Some of the women he used to have a cordial relationship used to make pies and other snacks for him. Mm -hmm. Like brownies. Like brownies. <laughs> <laughs> oh. oh, crap. Side Dragon actually responded. I hit him up on Twitter. Yeah. And he responded on Twitter and said, yes, there's a legitimacy there. Hang on oh, a second. Interesting. Whoa. There was a legitimacy to the last story. There was a lot of uh, or illegitimacy. illegitimacy. <laughs> well, you don't know how many of the women were married and how many weren't, or if he was married at the time. He was. He was married. Oh, so well, that, according, I, we never had kids. Uh, I'm going to throw this in, in the Discord, but he actually put a link about the assessment of C-band mobile telecom inf oh. interference impact on low-range radar, radar altimeter operation. Damn, he's fast. Huh. We so will it's in Discord. To, uh, yeah, it's in we'll Discord? Yeah. Okay. 
Interesting. Throw it in Twitch too. Thank you, Mr. Roberts. We'll have to uh, bring him on to have a larger conversation about that because it sounds fun. Uh, about the five G interfering with altimeters, not not the milkman, milkman fathering eight hundred children. Yeah. Oh, oh he said, but we remember, didn't talk remember? about. Hold on, we didn't talk about nine year olds launching DDoS attacks against schools, so they get school canceled. Brilliant. I'm just gonna say, like, we should start following some of these kids for hiring after we teach ethics. And <laughs> yeah, I was gonna ethics. say that's a that's a recruiting thing, but we got to put yeah. in some pre. But I don't think like ethics. I don't believe that. The, I think they're just going to a booting ser a booter service, right? Like I don't think they're construct. They're not building their own botnets and launching a DDoS attack. I mean, if that's the case, like you said, Tyler, we teach them ethics first and then we hire them. <laughs> but uh, I think it's just a. To me, it's more of a systemic problem uh, in two different ways. One is ethics and. Uh, awareness training to children, which is really where this article was focused on, you know, the ethics behind some of this, mm -hmm. uh, some of these activities, such as uh, when you're playing video games, you want to boot someone off the game, right? You go to the booter service and then kids are like, wait, if I can take down like one or a couple of people in a video game, why can't I take out the school? And then I don't have school that day. Like that's <clears throat> totally awesome. And then I got more time to game, right? So they yeah. made that leap. Obviously, there's a huge moral ethics values conversation that needs to happen which is where this campaign that happens to be from the uk um you know is is focused but also what can we do in law enforcement and cybersecurity, to make sure these services aren't available to people like nine-year-old kids mm -hmm. see my initial reaction was like oh they're just going to ddos the school and then they're just going to you know like we do here mm. we're going to treat it like a snow day like the first snow day is a snow day. The second day that we have snow, they go to virtual. And I'm like, so they're just going to virt. Oh, oh. If you wipe out their capacity to do virtual learning. Dude, yeah. Now it's a snow. Yeah. Yeah. But really, that, that yeah. sounds like poor network design to me. Like yeah. if you're if you're not capable, although I, I did just see this, like we had a power outage here. And although all the kids use Zoom and Google Docs and Google Classroom, the... Uh, district had set up the URL in order for the authentication to validate the students to log in. It rerouted through the the district's website. The website went down because the power was down uh, because they hosted themselves. Yes. And they were not Great even point. able to get to Zoom or to Google Docs because of the auth redirection. That's a bad dot design decision and they need to re-architect. Agreed. Yep. They need to host it in the cloud. Yeah, I was just going to say move yeah. to the cloud. So then they have to DDoS Google. And good luck with that. Now they, yep, they, it's a little harder than. Well, I mean, I mean, they just DDoS Google, or they figure out what the IP addresses are assigned to where mm -hmm. the teachers are holding their classes at the school, maybe school building, and just DDoS those. Not that we're giving you kids any ideas out there. Like, no, hold on, hold on. This, we're not this is, condoning this, is, this behavior. This is, this is a critical, uh, a thinking, a thought exercise. Yes, in, yes, yes. In network design and single points of failure. Yes. Yep. <sighs> Yeah, booters are not for children or, or <coughs> adults for that matter. Of course, it's really, I mean, these services move around so much. That's a whole other topic for a whole other time, right? Yeah. And I'm, I'm curious, like, where they did the research for this. Was it at the school? Was it allowed? Like, if they did it at home, like, that's some scary uh, home networks anyway, like we've been saying. So mm. there's a whole bunch of problems that can arise from, you know, just training kids what the risk is of getting into these sites and then the other things that, potentially happen on these sites like 
it was pretty cool that they found the site and they were able to pull it off but right like someone found it first and was in the game chat or discord channel and makes friends with someone and goes oh if you want to boot someone like dude here's the service you want to use right that's well, usually and, and, and most of the services require crypto so like mm -hmm. did they set up a wallet like did they put funds in did they figure out how the transaction worked like there's not there's some non-trivial things that they had to to go through to get the service to actually activate mm -hmm. that's interesting Oh, and a German team took control of a Tesla by hacking a third-party app. And I was like, wait a minute. Pwn to own hasn't happened yet. <laughs> um, but apparently this was, you can control non-vehicle-in-motion like, functions. Yet. Yet. But it, the, the hack, as it was reported, um, it, it couldn't touch things like steering, acceleration, and braking. Yet. But all the other cars, controls, door locking, and that kind of stuff yep. was fair game. I'm assuming that's some kind of. Does that mean there's a? Those are not sandboxed functions in the CAN bus that allows APIs between those different systems because I know the steering and and braking and stuff. Those are uh, isolated, isolated device functions. Uh, some of these other ones, like unlock, is interesting because there's third-party apps that tie in. You can monitor your vehicle. Mm -hmm. You know, have an app on your phone. Those obviously are in a different uh, security enclave. <clears throat> And thus have API calls between all the functioning systems. So there's a lot of interesting things that aren't said in, in this article. Yeah, but most cars, you can start it from the app too. So I'm assuming there's ways to bridge that bus. Yep. Like I so said, yeah. maybe this person's holding that particular exploit for Pwn to own. <laughs> it's going to drive away because now we can unlock it. You got to unlock it if you want to get in it and drive it away. I mean, that's what I would do. Right? Yep. Why would you tell anybody if you've got an exploit to take over Tesla's? Uh, and, it, but he would have to disclose that to Tesla. That would be, in speaking with Dragos, right? That yeah. would be, yeah, yep. responsibly disclosed. But you yep. get a Tesla out of the deal. Not a bad deal. No. No, not a bad deal. Especially if it's the, what, the Model S? Uh, he didn't say it was a Model S. It, he said uh, it was a Model Y and... I forget which one, one of the other models. It wasn't an S. Oh, I know. I was listening for that too. Damn. It was not an S. Still a Tesla, nonetheless. Still, it's a free. It's a yeah. free car. Know, a free car. Yeah. I know Unit eighty two hundred does not pay in Teslas, so <laughs> might be one. <laughs> but they pay in money, which you can use to buy a Tesla. So I mean, they do. They do pay in money, but then you're on their list as well. So that's another problem. True. <laughs> well, the NSO group reaches out after that point, and you're not on any lists after that. Mm -hmm. But we don't uh, talk ooh. about that. Wow. North Korean hackers stole. This is just the segment. It's never going to end because anyway, uh, North Korean hackers stole $400 million in crypto last year. My question is like, so how, how it's accurate? Only worth like 200. How accurate can that number be? And how did they derive that number? And how do you pretty truly. And pretty, pretty easily. Like there's five or six major companies, not including government's abilities and their analytics, but you can track every transaction and build a, a web and, and follow pretty much all the transactions to known wallets and or using other information and key indicators. You can tie wallets to organizations, resources, geolocations. So what you're saying, Tyler, is this number could be higher, not lower. Yes. Yeah, this is yeah, just as a probably fact, known wallet. 
and following blockchain transactions, yep. uh, scrubbing services, and and anonymizers, like they trace it through all that. That's pretty pretty straightforward. So most of these are probably legitimate. Which I thought that number actually was kind of small for a nation state, but it is North Korea, so their capabilities are kind of sloppy too. Yeah, but it could also be higher. I guess is my point in the reporting, right? Because the oh, yeah. wallets you don't know about, you don't you won't know about. Yeah, so but it's there's, likely there's more. No, there's no analytics or there's no um, indicators or metadata for for those particular wallets, and yeah, there's nothing you can really correlate. Yeah, like if they went through a different group with a different wallet and series of transactions that they couldn't tie back, that would be revenue that they weren't accounting for. Yeah. And, again, and the remember they, as well. The they that, were able to do this means that they're even more sloppy than we already know that they are. So. Interesting. I remember as well that most uh, legitimate exchanges have a, a blacklist of, of coins and wallets. So that if, if they see a coin that they know was stolen, they won't allow it to be traded on their exchange. Mm. Yep. So it's still, I mean, what's that? So those are just the exchanges. So yeah, those I mean those aren't valid in any of the exchanges. But then you get washing services, and even then you're still following it, right? They're still valid transactions. That's the great thing about blockchain. The blockchain right? it's all public. All yeah. transactions are traceable and or readable by everybody. So you will always be able to follow the money. It's whether or not you can figure out from the metadata or from other mm-hmm. intelligence what that money ends up at at the endpoint. Do you know what that wallet is? Do you know where it ended? Do you understand the different groups? You can correlate a lot of things, even the affiliate network for ransomware, right? Like we see each of the affiliates taking their cut as we follow the trail and you see it get washed. Then you see those ones wash and you can get a percentage. You actually know how much they get paid at the end of all this because all the transactions are recorded. Mm-hmm. You see the inputs so, and the outputs. Yep. It's, it's pretty hard to get to the anonymous place. It takes a fair amount of effort um, off off-chain um, exchanges, in fact, not even exchanges. You're, you're talking about going to non-distributed networks and having offline cold wallets that don't do anything and are very specific uses that get moved. So it's not easy to do. But interesting how they said that <clears throat> this was stolen cryptocurrency, not necessarily something that was part of a transaction, right? In other words, like a North Korea is going to do some service and they're going to get paid in cryptocurrency or whatever so still i think that number's low right there's all that the the stuff that they were doing with the ransom and then they had what was it some crypto stealing extensions in chrome there was a few campaigns that they were they were going directly after crypto and and had some uh quick burn exploits that they used for for those particular campaigns to get funding is what it what it seemed like and, but mean, whether or not they were able to use those coins is also interesting. Like, like that's Josh what I was going to say. Yeah, how do they then? How do they then? You all right? So you got four hundred million dollars <laughs> across how many wallets in different cryptocurrency? Conceivably, how do you utilize that to uh, support your dictatorship? Yeah, you, you take a, a ten to one hit and use a a service that has a way to take that crypto to fiat and monetize on it outside of. Yep exchanges controlled by regulatory bodies and then you're losing losing that 90 percent so that's probably what they did so the 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 deal is is that laundering money in in fiat terms regular money terms is that you know who's doing it but you don't know how they're laundering the money uh you don't know where the money is 
In blockchain terms, it's exactly the opposite. You know exactly where the money is. You just might not know who's doing it. Mm. So that's that's literally the way I got um, the American Society of Certified Anti-Money Laundering Specialists to understand it. And with this case, the only way to, to launder that money appropriately is to sell it for fiat, like at a local Bitcoins type thing. Uh, so you're, you're losing, as, as Tyler said, a hell of a lot of value. And then put it back into crypto to move it across borders or leave it in fiat, whatever you want. But you're losing a lot. You'd lose what? What do you think, Tyler? Like, honestly, I, I, don't, I don't know if it'd be 90%, but I'm, I'm, I, you'd lose at least 40 to 50% just because you have to do it in smaller sums and through every kind of local Bitcoin and Bitcoin back alley, right? To scrub it, to scrub it enough for what they're probably trying to do, if you scrubbed it twice, you'd be... Oh, yeah, then you're losing 90. You'd be you're right, 60%. okay. Yeah, yeah, I would say 60, 60 to 80. Yeah, you're right. If you have to scrub it twice, it's it just, oh my keeping God. Keeping it crypto and then like using it in crypto for you know purchases like other altcoins or NFTs, leveraging it to buy physical goods on other markets where you know, you're know you not leveraging an exchange, you're doing a, a crypto to physical um, purchase and payment. There's a lot of services that are doing that on the dark web and, and criminal organizations using those. So money laundering even now is uh, anonymity is not is not trivial or easy to do so mm. interesting you notice that joff's been very quiet about yeah. the whole money laundering thing <laughs> it's not it's not anything to do with money laundering it's got to do with me you know actually kind of working here at the same time <laughs> oh see i thought you well yeah working at money laundering you just want to give up all your secrets oh yeah that's what it is oh, yeah. <laughs> Double washing got, it. He's busy double, double washing it. It's all that double regexes, right? Double regexing my money. That's right. <laughs> Alrighty. <sighs> what do you say? I snuck in a lot of... Just when we thought we were done, I snuck in another story. Yeah, so did that book, man. I don't know if I can... <laughs> can I do that again? Organizations face a losing battle against vulnerabilities. We talked about that. We talked about vulnerabilities. We and talk about vulnerabilities every week. Every week. Alrighty, what do you say we cut to the next segment? We got another segment. It's like pre-recorded. Sound like a plan. Hey, come right back out. with a technical segment. Stay tuned. Check it out. We're proud to announce CISO Stories, a new podcast series in partnership with Cybersecurity Collaborative and Cyber Reason. CISO Stories features the candid perspectives and experiences of frontline senior security executives and dives deep into timely security topics. CISO Stories is hosted by Todd Fitzgerald, VP of Cybersecurity Strategy at Cybersecurity Collaborative, and Sam Curry, Chief Product and Security Officer at Cyber Reason. Listen weekly as they speak with extraordinary CISOs by visiting securityweekly.com forward slash CSP. Welcome back, everyone, to Paul's Security Weekly. Quick announcement. Don't miss any of your favorite Security Weekly content. Visit securityweekly.com forward slash subscribe and subscribe to any of our podcast feeds. Uh, have all the new episodes downloaded right to your phone or device. You can also join our mailing list, Discord server, and follow us on social media and our streaming platforms, all at securityweekly.com forward slash subscribe this is a technical segment that i'll run through wp scan for those of you out there that want to scan wordpress sites for vulnerabilities as we all know wordpress has lots of vulnerabilities uh not just in the engine itself but of course in all of the plugins and uh configuration in wordpress can also be an issue such as your xml rpc 
uh, API endpoints that should not be publicly accessible and things of that nature. So lots of kind of ripe uh, for the picking vulnerabilities in, in WordPress. Now, having run WordPress for a long time, I'm always in search of tools that will help me understand just what the state of my current WordPress uh, site is. And also what I want to cover in this segment is not you know just the WP scan tool, but some of my, my goals behind using it. And that is to do a very stealthy scan uh, in case you don't have some of the abilities that you need in order to remove like restrictions for scanners and things like that. WP scan lets you uh, modify your scan profile to be a little more stealthy so you can get past any filtering or WAFs or any other kind of defensive uh, measures. Not all defensive measures, but some you can kind of get around and avoid being blocked. Um, you know, we host with a WordPress uh, hosting provider for many of our WordPress sites, and they by default include some basic security stuff and controls that will, you'll get your IP address blacklisted pretty quick if you just do a full on scan of the site. So I started messing with WP Scan and came up with some pretty cool, I think, tips and tricks uh, for running WP Scan. Now, you can get the notes for this segment. So I list out command by command. Now, I tested all of these commands earlier today on a fully up-to-date Ubuntu 20.04 server install that I had running in a virtual machine. So I wanted to double-check that every command, as I almost knocked my coffee over, every command uh, that I ran here actually works in that version of Ubuntu. So this should be pretty universal across multiple Linux distributions. And again, there's a link at the top, a link in the show notes. It's on our GitHub page, github.com forward slash security weekly. There's a repo called the WP scan dash tech segment, and that will get you this document that I'm displaying on the screen right now. And for those listening to the audio only version, if you hit the show notes, you can get a complete uh, transcript rather of all of the commands that I ran to do this segment. Couple of things before we get started with the actual commands. Uh, WP scan is free. You can install it in a number of different ways. I tried using the Docker container. It works okay. Um, what you end up running into, at least what I ran into in the Docker container, is being able to share files, uh, importing and exporting files in and out of that Docker container would require that you map some volumes. And as anyone knows, it's work with Docker, like mapping volumes can be a little tricky. Uh, and just put some extra road uh, roadblocks uh, in your process. So I decided to install it natively in my operating system uh, to avoid those issues rather than trying to deal with Docker volumes and mappings and all volume mappings and that uh, stuff. The other thing is, in order for WP Scan, uh, it's free, but in order for it to enumerate vulnerabilities, you have to register with their site for an API key. Now I did that and they give you a free... Uh, API key that's good for 30 API calls. And you're like, well, what does that translate to? I too had the same question. 30 API calls will probably let you scan most WordPress sites at least once. So every time you scan a WordPress site, you're gonna use up on average 15 or so, I mean, your mileage is gonna vary, on average 15 API calls. So every time it encounters a plugin, it might have to do an API call to say, hey, does that plugin with this version have any vulnerabilities? And it's gonna, eat up your API calls. So you can pay them for a license uh, for WP scan. It's not that expensive. I think I did some of the, the math for it. Um, you get, I don't know how many API calls for like 300 bucks a year. It's all listed out on their website. To get started, registering for the free one uh, works just fine. So 
make sure you go register for your WP scan account, get your API token. Uh, if you're going to do this, you at least want the free one uh, to be able to enumerate some vulnerabilities uh, in your WordPress site. Again, you're capped at 30 API calls. The important part of that is also per day. So it's 30 calls per day. So if you're running this in the way I've configured this uh, for you in this segment as well is to store the configuration of how you're running WP scan in a configuration file, in a YAML configuration file. And you could run this on a cron job or you could script this to run every day if you wanted to, export the results, email them off to you, put them on a web server or whatever you want to do with it. So this is kind of the fundamentals you would need if you wanted to run this on a continuous basis every day, for example. You probably at some point want to buy a license. For example, um, uh, I will probably... Uh, try and get justification to purchase a license and set this up so it can scan every single WordPress site uh, you know, that we're responsible for uh, every day. And to do that, you're going to need a lot more than 30 API calls. So jumping right into first the installation, which is pretty easy. Again, you got lots of options here. It is based on Ruby. So I have an apt install command. Uh, that's the first command that you want to run in this uh, tutorial. And it installs the very basics to install Ruby gems, uh, Ruby uh, development libraries, as well as Python pip, which you'll need. I found another utility that I'll talk about that allows you to convert the JSON results either to a nice, easy screen readable format or into HTML. So in order to run that script, you need uh, Python. Uh, and specifically, it installs with Python pip. So I'll show you how, how to do that as well. So once you run WP scan, you can convert the raw results or JSON results into a more human readable uh, format that I'll show you a screenshot of uh, or export that to HTML. The HTML results are not anything to get too excited about, um, but it does make it nice to have it in a standard format that you could load with a, a web browser, share that with other admins so you know they don't need any special tools to read it other than a web browser. So you install your prerequisites and then you execute the command uh, jam install WP scan. It's as simple as that. Again, there's lots of other ways to do it, including a Docker container. Uh, I found you know these commands get it up and running on a Linux distro without too much headache. Uh, then you want to make sure you update WP scan, uh, update its internal uh, database, and you can do that by running WP scan with the dash dash update flag after it, and that updates your database. The next thing you want to do. Uh, you can string all these commands uh, and uh, parameters, I should say, on the command line. I really like a tool like we talked about a mass before in, in this tool, WP scan. It has a lot of different options, right? You got to give it an API key. You might want to change out your user agent. You want to give it different options so it scans it in passive mode to be a little more stealthy. Um, in all those options, like I, I forget like which ones I need to pass to on the command line. So I like to have the YAML file configuration so that I can input those in a file rather than trying to run it as parameters on the command line. So I'm going to switch to the next page uh, in this and take a look at the top here. Those are our options. So the first line of your YAML file, which I should uh, go back to the previous at the very bottom here, you want to put this in your home directory dot wp scan forward slash scan dot yml it's in the documentation for wp scan the files that it will look for the places it will look for specific uh, directories and file names for a configuration file and if it finds that it will use that and i 
want to say it ignores what you give it on the command line or the command line takes precedence, um, but it will read from the options file. Again, it's all in the WP scan documentation, uh, which was pretty good. So the .wp scan directory gets created because I ran WP scan in my previous step to update the database, which creates that internal directory, which is where it stores its database as well. So I create a new file called in my home directory in the directory .wp scan forward slash scan .yml is what I'm creating. And this is a, a standard YAML uh, format and very specific options for WP scan. So CLI options is the main uh, top level configuration uh, section. And then you're going to give it all of the information you want to be able to uh, scan with your configuration. So the first is your URL. That's your target URL, wherever you're targeting. You're also going to give it your API token. So the free account is limited to 25 API calls per day. Uh, and I have my notes about 12 or 15 or so API calls uh, on average for your WordPress site. And I got that from their documentation as well. Uh, detection mode, I'm putting in passive. There's a couple of different options there. You know, active will more actively scan, but you run the risk of tripping any kind of WAF or protections that the site may have in place if they've got additional, you know, WordFence as a, a plugin to protect their WordPress instance. Uh, it might trigger that. So for you pen testers out there uh, or folks looking to be stealthy. Maybe you're doing a bug bounty uh, on a particular organization that may have WordPress. Um, that's a good option to have is flipping the detection mode into passive, the plugin detection mode into passive, and the plugin version detection into passive. So I basically set all of those to passive. There is a dash dash stealthy option, which does, I think, like two out of three of those configuration options. So if you're running WP scan from the WP scan from the command line, and I think the macro is dash dash stealthy. That basically sets some of these to uh, to passive. So uh, I just kind of disregarded that macro, and I wanted to make sure that all of my main detection mode, plugin detection mode, and plugin version detection mode was set to passive because it's a lot more stealthy and won't trigger as many bells and alarms and whistles. Uh, I you could flip those into the more aggressive mode if you wanted to be a little more thorough. In my somewhat limited testing, I found that it did a pretty good job of enumerating vulnerabilities in passive mode. I also set my user agent to a standard, I think this is like Chrome running on Windows user agent. Um, there is an option in WP scan to randomize the user agent. So it's random underscore user underscore agent, set that to true, and it'll choose a random user agent. I didn't go look in the source code and see what the list was of user agents. I set mine to a standard user agent because again, a lot of uh, defensive technologies will take a look at the user agent. And if the user agent says WP scan, well, it's probably going to block your requests. So I set that to a standard Windows. I, I believe this user agent string was Chrome running on Windows from a user agent. Um, the enumeration um, is a specific list of options that, again, is all in the documentation. And the list that I have here basically sets the enumeration to enumerate all of the plugins, all of the users, all of the versions of WordPress. So it tells WPSCAN to basically enumerate everything. You can change that enumerate string so that it will only enumerate certain things. If you want just users, you tell it enumerate just you, 
for users and it'll just do users. Um, so that long string right there, AP comma AT comma TT, that tells it basically enumerate everything uh, in the list. And again, I read that from the documentation and looked at what all those enumerate options were and chose the, the core set uh, that I want to scan for and enumerate. Now, the next two are on your output format. So I'm uh, telling it to output a JSON formatted results file and the output parameter tells it to put it in a file and this will go in your current working directory. It will produce a file called results.json. Uh, so you want all of this in your scan.yml uh, and then if we flip to the next section, uh, it will, when you run WP scan, just type WP scan, it'll read from that configuration file and it will go ahead and scan your WordPress site, put the results in that file. Now you can read that file in, in, you know, many different tools and utilities. You could write your own script. I'm sure if you searched on GitHub, you could probably find, uh, even more repositories that have tools, uh, for parsing and working with this results files. It's pretty common. I found one called WP scan out parse. This is a Python script that will parse these results and output a little better, more human readable kind of format. It gives you kind of a vulnerability scan result. You can see a sample screenshot there. Uh, you know, the version of WordPress is out of date. So it flagged that and it lists all of your plugins as well as your theme and tells you the version, uh, whether the version is out of date and whether that version has known vulnerabilities or potential vulnerabilities and a status. And actually this Python script does a pretty good job of uh, just capturing kind of the summary results from your WP scan. Uh, and so that was just me running uh, Python 3 WP scan out parse uh, and giving it the results.json file that I had generated. And it, it, there's more results there. So you can kind of take a look when you run this command for yourself. Uh, the next command that I ran was, uh, again, I'm running, using the Python script WP scan out parse, and I'm telling it to output in the format of HTML, and I am redirecting that to a file called results.html. Again, it's kind of just a flat HTML file format that it puts in there, and so you can use that to email around or share or however you want to uh, work with your results. Now, you can also use the JQ command, um, which is a, a query command that will query JSON and allow you to filter, parse, and do all kinds of magic things with a JSON file uh, if you want to start uh, plucking out specific things. So if you just output, you know, cat the results of uh, the JSON to the screen, pipe it to JQ dot, that'll give you the entire tree in JSON format of everything that's in that file kind of, you know, formatted not just as one blob, but on separate lines. So you have to install this JQ command uh, separately if it's not installed already. So I just show you some of the uh, things in here that it outputs over to uh, the screen. And then uh, you can query specific trees uh, or sections in that JSON file. So my next command, I put the results, uh, uh, pipe the results uh, of the JSON file to jq.users, and that's just going to give me the users tree uh, inside the, the file structure. So if you're on an assessment, pen test, whatever, and you just want to see if you were able to enumerate any users, you can run this command really quickly, and this will only output a list of potential users or users that WP scan discovered. 
during its scan. So you can see this is some sample results there. Um, and it found those through passive detection. Couple of caveats. Uh, if you do not format your CLI options correctly, it won't give you much in the way of debugging, troubleshooting, logs, output, or error messages. Uh, earlier today, I accidentally had an extra character in front of CLI options. And when I ran WPA, WP scan, it, it didn't output anything into my results file and didn't give me any, really any errors or warnings. So uh, be very careful when you're constructing your YAML file that you follow the file structure very, very closely. And again, you can tune these options to be more aggressive as well, but it increases your chances of uh, getting your IP blocked essentially when you're scanning that uh, those WordPress sites out there. Um, again, all of the information from this technical segment, how to get up and running uh, using WP Scan in this manner, is available on our GitHub site, github.com forward slash security weekly. You can check it out there. Make sure you go read the documentation for WP Scan. Um, it's uh, available on GitHub and their website as well. Um, the You can also look at the GitHub repo for wpscanout-parse, uh, which is available as free and open source as well. And don't forget to register for your API key uh, on the WPScan site. Again, you get 25 free calls, API calls per day uh, with the free one. So that will conclude the technical segment for tonight and conclude the episode. Thank you everyone for listening and watching. We'll see you next time over and out. <laughs>